Um, about 80 years ago, there was a lovely man who created a comic book company in New York City. And little did we know that that comic book company would change the face of entertainment supposedly forever. Hi guys, or should I say, hello true believers, welcome to So To Speak. My name is Evan Mead. I'm Lyle Groniker. And uh, we have a special show for you tonight. Um, I brought up Marvel Comics. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, where they began in the form of movies, because we all know that they created comics, but they have created movies, and since comic book movies are such a popular part of all culture, and they've changed... And since nobody reads anymore. Yeah, the, 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 would you say, the, just a minor uh, point, would you say that the comic book, the physical comic book, is dead? I have heard a lot of stories of how, like, comic book shops aren't making, like, nearly as much income anymore, that comic book sales have decreased radically. So, yeah, I would, Sad say, but I true. would, I would say that Marvel's biggest... Uh, basket of eggs is definitely in the cinematic universe right now yeah so uh with movies and tv series and disney plus series being the primary mode of entertainment for these characters to be given to the world we're going to talk about uh marvel at the movies specific uh, specifically movies today now this is not exclusively the mcu not exclusive to the mcu yeah we're going way beyond uh, and, or should we say, to infinity and beyond. That's a Pixar reference. But, you know, infinity stones, stuff like that. Oh, to infinity stones okay. and beyond. <laughs> okay. yeah. That's what I'm talking about. You turn that one around. Now, this is, just right so you know, this is going to be part of a two-parter uh, two uh, kind of deal. Uh, this episode tonight, we're going to focus specifically on Marvel. Next week is, uh, we're going to tackle DC. And for these episodes, we have a very special guest, a good friend of ours who we'd like to introduce to you. He is a actor, a writer, a producer uh, who's been around the Toronto film industry and the Canadian film industry for a long time. Uh, I'd like to introduce Michael Lake uh, to our audience. Welcome to the show, Michael. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thank you for having me. So, uh, where did? How long have you been a Marvel fan? Um, I would say. Probably my relationship with these films and their content would probably date back to about the 2002 Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the real first kind of Marvel property I remember being like solidly invested in and really enjoying. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's also very true. I think uh, that was my first Marvel movie uh in the theater as well uh i th actually i think that was the first superhero movie i saw in the theater in general the first spider-man um yeah one of the cool things uh i like about michael is that uh he <laughs> as i've gotten to know him over the past couple of years he uh has this um wonderful way of recounting experiences in a cinema because michael freak just like uh myself and lyle michael michael frequents the cinema all the time or at least did in a yeah. pre-covid world and you've had yeah. some amazing stories of like just experiences you've had at the cinema and uh, a lot of uh the most memorable movie experiences that we've had as moviegoers i find not just like us three exclusively 
but uh, yeah. like just as a uh, as a um, as a society, you know, a lot of the most memorable movie going mm-hmm. experiences of the past twenty years uh, were in were with comic book movies. And uh, something yeah. we'd like to just stress here is that um, everyone's been talking, and by everyone I mean like the movie going industry uh, audiences. Filmmakers, uh, as far up as the uh, as far up the ladder as Martin Scorsese, everyone in film is talking about the impact that these movies have had, and everyone thinks that like Marvel has just been around for like only ten years. Uh, I I did some we were doing some research to prepare for this episode. Marvel has been making movies for a lot longer than we've given them credit for. We act like Marvel has just dominated the box office uh, yeah, for the turn of the century. Yeah. yeah, no, they have dominated the box office for a long time than we than we could have figured. So uh, yeah. let's just jump. Let's just jump right into it. Um, I'd like to get into where it all started for Marvel at the movies. So uh, just to, by the way, um, I, I have a pop quiz for both of you. Do you know who okay. the first Marvel hero to get turned into a feature-length film? Uh, which Marvel hero got was the first to get uh, their comic turned into a feature-length film? Take a guess. Ooh. Um, Captain America? Captain America? What is Captain America? You both get the grand prize. Oh, I win. <laughs> you, win oh, nice. di- you win credibility. <laughs> I believe I've seen those kind of old stills from that one kind of yeah project that was more of a financial investment than a creative endeavor. Like, I know they made a movie where they just sort of had to capitalize on the fact they had the rights or something. Oh, like the nineties one. Yeah, uh, yeah. A, we'll get into that when we get to this decade. But the movie I'm talking about, Marvel Comics, was established in 1939, the same year that World War II broke out, and in 1944. A movie called Captain America hit theaters. Now, uh, this movie yeah. is available on YouTube. It is has a runtime of two hours forty four minutes and twenty seven seconds. Yeah, that's if, like that rivals sit, Endgame. If you can sit through Endgame, sure, I'm sure <laughs> you can sit through that. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting to note that uh, in this version of Captain America, he wasn't called Steve Rogers. Um, okay. Yeah, what, what was it called? I'm, I'm gonna look that up right now. John Smith. No, it wasn't John Smith. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, there, there's also another uh, crazy name change uh, that uh, we'll talk about name changes later. Yeah, I laugh if they called him Joe Sixpack or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna look this up right now. Uh, okay. Joe America. <laughs> Joe. Joe America. Johnny Rehab. <laughs> So this movie was released in 94, you say? Uh, 1944. Oh, 44. Yeah, so (laughs) in the the same year that D-Day happened, uh, they turned Captain America into a feature-length film. And uh, the actor who played Cap was uh, Dick Purcell. And uh, instead of Steve Rogers, Captain America's name in this movie was Grant Gardner. Kind of reminds me of Guy Gardner, like the uh, the Green Lantern character. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're gonna keep. Let's try to keep the comp- comparisons to DC to a minimum yeah, because that was, was an interesting. Comparison. Yeah, I want to save yeah. the I want to save the comparisons for tomorrow night because uh, I just think, in my professional opinion, that 
Marvel has had more of a... They've had, like, a significant impact on the film industry, slightly more than DC has. But not to say that DC hasn't, but... Were there any other serials that were made about Captain America? Well, uh, no, this was a feature... The feature-length film from 1944 was actually the first time that Marvel would have one of their characters made into a theatrical experience until 34 years later. And in 1978, uh, the... Doctor Strange got made into a feature film, and it was a TV movie. Oh, oh great! Yeah, I'm yeah, sure. I'm I think sure I've it's... seen uh, not footage per se, but I think I've seen like stills of that. I'm sure yeah, it's around the held internet. up incredibly well <laughs> compared to the yeah. new one. Uh, I'm looking up this still image right now. Uh, Strange looks kind of like Borat. <laughs> he looks like Ron Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can you, I can now. You just made me. I just pictured. Uh, Doctor Strange being Doctor played by Sasha Baron Cohen. Doctor Swan. I would watch that movie. Oh, yeah. That'd be, that'd be cool. Um, it is also worth mentioning that uh, we're not going to talk about TV series because there's just too much to cover, but in the 70s, mm-hmm. Sp- Spider-Man got a TV series oh, called The Amazing Spider-Man. Christ. It's awful. Have you seen it? I've seen clips of yeah. it. It's like the most, the biggest uh, demonstration of a superpower is that you can run up a flight of stairs really quickly. Oh, yeah? But it's all sped up footage, so oh, it's wow. not nearly, it's not impressive at all. Oh, wow. So this is, this is a live action series. It's a live yeah, action Spider-Man series. Yeah. I'm not talking about the animated show yeah. from the yeah. 60s, because that's classic. But, uh, I, uh, I actually had the, the distinct honor of actually meeting the guy who voiced the animated Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. oh nice! Um, yeah, his name uh, Paul Souls. Paul oh. Souls. Yeah. Uh, Paul Paul Souls. Um, he voiced Spider-Man in the uh, 1960s, but he had I he has had a very kind of long, distinguished career. He did lots of stuff at like Stratford and stuff like that. Um, I had. If you don't mind me telling this anecdote, I think you'll really appreciate oh, it. Oh, sure. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I I actually got the, again, the honor, privilege of acting opposite him because he now stars in this Canadian TV show called My 90-Year-Old Roommate, where he plays the eponymous 90-Year-Old Roommate. Oh. And I was cast in this very weird and kind of uncomfortable episode where I played this, like, guy who was like writing his obituary for him oh wow and (laughs) we would um we i like on camera we would kind of like riff uncomfortably about like what i would say about him if he was to die right then and there and then off camera he would just like tell me all these incredible stories about his life and it was amazing and i i kind of uh like briefly I was like how would you feel this is like an improvised joke like in the show I was like how would you feel about uh the last line being not all heroes wear capes like Spider-Man he doesn't wear a cape and it was like one of those weird kind of like anti-jokes that's like kind of funny because it's so lame right and he just (laughs) he just like kind of like scoffed his appreciation he's like yeah that's fine oh Uh, (laughs) that's that's yeah. Yeah, that's a super yeah. cool story. It was it was really cool just to I don't know, sit with him. He's he's uh 
a very distinguished theater actor and a very distinguished voice actor. Like he's in that famous, uh, like, uh, stop motion Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer cartoon as well. Oh, yeah, I've oh, seen that. Right, that classic. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was a that was a really cool experience to kind of get to riff with Spider Man. That's for, awesome. Like, a day. Yeah, that is pretty <laughs> yeah. cool. That is great. Um, so back to our list. Uh, throughout the seventies, um. Captain America actually got a sequel to his 1944 movie. The movie was called Captain America 2, Death Too Soon. If you're wondering what, where was the first one, uh, I am 90% sure that they're referring to the 1944 film. So it took them like 35 years to come out with a sequel. Yeah, better late than never. Yeah. In this version, Cap is called Steve Rogers, and he's played by a dude named Reb Brown. Okay. R-E-B Brown. So I like I like how the poster says a classic Marvel film. Yeah, <laughs> I've never heard of it. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and now uh, we're uh, like uh, over half a decade uh, later, the next Marvel property that got turned into a movie was an Howard absolute classic Howard the Duck. An absolute classic of <laughs> magnificent Howard the Duck. Yeah, proportions. Oh my god. Uh, so we already t- actually discussed Howard the Duck. In um, our in our very first uh, so to speak in our so to speak pilot episode, we talked about Howard the Duck, and uh, I told the story that I'll just reiterate very quickly. My dad went into this movie thinking it was going to be the next big thing, and it was going to revolutionize, you know, films. Uh, So he thought (laughs) he thought it was going to be like the Guardians of the Galaxy of his time. That's insane to me. I didn't. Yeah. I, it took me until this year to see Howard the Duck because it's on Netflix. Uh, it is bad. It's it, not very good. I mean, it's a coherent. It's yeah. coherent. It, but its its tone is wonky. It's yeah. a very dark, sickly movie. Yeah, I feel gross I, watching it. Yeah. I'm sure you. But uh, I'm sure you probably touched on this at some point. But in case anyone's listening and they're a younger viewer or whatever, not aware of the legacy of this film. This is George Lucas working on a Marvel property, and somehow yep. it became this movie. Like, well, he, he that, produced that it. should be the sum of every nerd's yeah. imagination, and it just it turned into one of the most baffling movies of all time. Yeah, it's it's yeah. weird that they started with a project, a product like this. Yeah, and this know. is like one of the first yeah. Marvel. This is one of the first Marvel IPs to be first, turned into one a feature of the first film. Big budget ones. Yeah. yeah. Now, this yeah. is where it gets really interesting. We're heading into, so, so, I guess you could say iconic. Uh, the next movie that came out in the 80s that was based off a of Marvel property was The Incredible Hulk Returns. Now, this is, <coughs> to be, now to be clear, the incre- in 1977, not only was Spider-Man turned into a live-action TV show, The Incredible Hulk, featuring Lou Ferrigno as Hulk and Bill Bixby as Dr. Banner, was... Uh, right was became a classic tv show and it took them like 11 years to make a feature film so this show came and went and i guess it had an appeal it's kind of an iconic show for oh yeah for sure and uh yeah so so there's just a fun fact um lou ferrigno uh actually has played has been a part of every hulk project right up until avengers infinity war infinity war oh oh sorry uh, so up until Thor Ragnarok, he had something to do with every single project with the Hulk. Yeah, he would do the yeah. voice. Um, oh yeah. In, uh, but yeah. So there's also another fun fact. So in the show, 
You know, he's typically called Bruce Banner. Well, on the show, he's called David Banner. Why? Well, at first, <laughs> they, 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 there's two reasons. One's a little bit uh, seedier than the other, but the first was that the guy who created the show, he, he fucking hated comic books. He thought they were dumb. He thought they were, like, not strongly written at all. And, and this is just to be clear, not Martin Scorsese. No, no, no. no. <laughs> no. Yeah. Martin Scorsese wasn't around at this time. He wasn't making stuff. I thought he was busy making Taxi Driver in the 80s. Oh, this was the 80s? Yeah, this was the 70s. 70s is when the show came yeah. out, but the movie... Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Anyway, I'll stop that. <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah, so th- he said, I don't want my character to have an alliterative name, because in all of Stan Lee's works, all the main characters have alliterative names. Bruce Banner, Peter Parker. Yeah. yeah. Reed Richards. Reed Richards. Yeah. Sue Storm. So he's like, I'm going to make him David Banner. And it's like, okay, well, that's not too much to ask. Sure. Unnecessary, but sure. But then <laughs> Lou Ferrigno and Stan Lee revealed that in, they, when they were in a CBS uh, meeting uh, creating the show, um... They said that the reason why they changed it from Bruce Banner to David Banner is that they thought Bruce was a was a name that sounded too gay. They meaning the network, right? The network, yeah. Not Stanley mm-hmm. Lou Ferrigno. They both thought it was a ridiculous claim. It was like, what's so gay about a name like Bruce? I don't know. I have never like... met uh, a, a gay man named Bruce. There is one on Family Guy. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. <laughs> but that's besides the that, point. But that's insane, like... Yeah, yeah. Uh, progressive uh, progressive uh, initiatives in the film industry took a long time to get off the ground. Yeah, it wasn't like all. It wasn't very glamorous in the seventies. Yeah, I'll say that for sure. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of Hulk shows. Quite honestly, yeah. it's probably the most successful show that yeah. ran around that time. And uh, so, uh, the Incredible Hulk Returns uh, was the feature film uh, debut of uh, the Bill Bixby Bruce Doctor Banner. And uh, the next year, in 1989, there was The Trial of the Incredible Hulk. Now, just to be clear, I haven't seen any of these movies. Um, Let's keep going. Yeah. So yeah. there's not too much to say. I, I, Lou, Lou Ferrigno, um, I don't know if either of you have seen the movie I Love You, Man, with Paul Rudd. It's, a, yeah. it's kind of a personal favorite of mine, though. I've yet to see but, it, but I've, I, have, I still have to take you up on your recommendation. Lou, Lou Ferrigno uh, plays himself in the movie. Oh yeah, he plays he plays like the celebrity Lou Ferrigno. Yeah, and there's, there's kind of a recurring joke through, or like whatever throughout the movie where they just kind of call him Hulk in passing. Oh, okay. but obviously, the, obviously that movie is uh, led by Paul Rudd. So when Avengers Endgame came out, I was probably one of the few that made this geeky connection. But I thought it was yeah. really funny that Paul Rudd went from acting opposite Hulk to literally acting opposite. The yeah. Hulk. <laughs> and, that's, yeah, that, that's that's really cool. I'm glad you picked it's one that of those, up. Um, it's one of those really kind of funny uh, instances of an actor sort of foreshadowing their own career. Yeah, there's a when we get to the MCU proper, I have another Paul Rudd callback that I. Oh, love. excellent. Um, your sto- you your story reminded me of uh, a reference in Sky High. Uh, you both have seen Sky High, right? No. You, Lyle, you haven't seen Sky High. No. I think you'd love that movie. Is it a Marvel or DC? It's none. It's nothing. Uh, Sky <laughs> it High is nothing. Sky what High a recommendation. Sky High uh, is. We're going off topic, but not just, just keep okay. Going. So like, I'll just check uh, it out sometime. 
Linda Carter, who played the Wonder Woman in the TV show, is the principal, and there's a scene where she's like, I'm not Wonder Woman, you know. <laughs> That's a DC reference. Yeah. Right. But yeah, so... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so back to Marvel. Uh, to yeah. close out the 80s, we have uh, The Punisher starring Dolph Lundgren as Castle as Frank Castle. I feel like I need to see that. I've seen every Punisher movie except for this one. And by the way, you want to yeah. know, know something funny? Uh, for those of you who don't live in Toronto, there is a subway station in our city called Castle Frank. <laughs> and uh, The Punisher huh. is Frank Castle. Yeah. I wonder if every Halloween there's just a bunch of Punisher guys <laughs> just hanging out at Castle Frank and take a photo yeah. of themselves. That should be a thing. <laughs> yeah. It's probably not, but it should be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now we're changing decades. This is where uh, shit's about to get real. And by right. So the next movie on our roster is the third cinematic incarnation of Captain America, and Chris Evans is still nowhere to be found yet. Uh, I know. 1990, Captain America. The only scene I... I have to admit, the only scene I've seen from this movie is the psych Hitler scene. Yeah. Which they actually recreated in the first Avenger, oddly enough. I know enough. there's a scene where he, like, steals a guy's car, and it's yeah. so awkwardly assembled that it's like, wow. Yeah? He said, like, shit gets real, Evan. I don't see much shit getting real with this one. Okay, uh... uh, yeah. uh oh, again, <laughs> uh, the Hulk came back with another movie called The Death of the Incredible Hulk. Uh, yeah. We're just going to keep that. going. Uh, there's not too much to say. Um, we haven't seen any yeah. of these Hulk movies. Yeah. So. Uh, oh, well, here's this really interesting story. Uh, the 90s was... Lyle, you want to talk about how the 90s was the time when movie studios started... It, it occurred to movie studios that, hey, we might be able to make some money off these IPs, these well, comic book IPs. It wasn't so much that. It was that, that Marvel was going through a really bad rough patch business-wise. Like, comics, yeah. comic like sales were, were tanking. They were doing pretty fucking bad, so they, the only way they could uh, get any sort of, like... Um, Revenue. Money, any sort of income, was to sell off the movie rights to various uh, movie studios like Fox and Sony and um, yeah. even Universal. So, yeah, they, uh, they were desperate and, like, throwing their products around, you know, trying to get a potential investor yeah. and it was difficult because some studios saw that some Marvel characters like even Iron Man were completely unfilmable yeah. <laughs> like, completely, like, unable to... I'm sorry audience I just have to laugh yeah. at that claim given well, what happened yeah, like, today if, if I, hey if it was yeah. 1991 and you're telling me oh I gotta make an Iron Man movie I'd be like ah shit I'll just stick with the Rocketeer yeah <laughs> well uh, do you know what's interesting what, what is interesting Evan? um when they were thinking of in the early 2000s when they were thinking of uh, how to adapt Iron Man to the screen John Favreau thought but didn't go through with this he thought about setting Iron Man in the Gulf War in the, in the early 90s in the first Gulf War uh, but huh. instead they updated it for like the modern day war on terror in Afghanistan so okay. but yeah so um, case in point uh, yeah. the Fox wound up with a Fantastic Four rights and an ambitious filmmaker tried and failed well, didn't necessarily fail. Roger Corman produced this, didn't he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he did. But oh, yeah, yeah, the, the yeah. in 1994, the Fantastic Four movie, the the unofficial first Fantastic Four movie, which no one saw literally because it was never released until YouTube was invented years later. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure there were pirated bootlegs of it. Well, that's exactly. Right well, that's what happened. A, a leaked bootleg wound up on the internet, and now the whole world has seen it. Or can see it. I personally haven't seen I it. I need to see it. I yeah. think I'm gonna have fun watching it. Uh, 
Yeah. It, it's, it looks kind of cute. Yeah. You know, it's like, they had no <laughs> money, and they went off to make a superhero movie. And I've seen some of the effect shots, and i got to say, it's, yeah. you know, for what they had, yeah. it's kind of commendable in a yeah. way. Uh, other other effects maybe not so much like when yeah. they show Johnny Storm flying around it's just obviously a CD a CGI render yeah that looks horrendous oh god but yeah a lot of reasons. maybe maybe this could be like a good movie to riff to you know oh, yeah, sure. maybe fun to see. uh so after the Fantastic Four uh there was in the night in ninety four in nineteen ninety six there was Generation X yeah, I have is that one of the Olsons looks like an Olson I have never heard of this movie no. Uh, and I've never heard Generation of this Marvel property X. to begin with. Generation X. Yeah, I've I, never heard of that either. Do you think it's like a prequel to X-Men? <laughs> oh, coming now, up next. here we go. In the 1998. OG, the goat. Finally, when a Marvel movie started, started to actually be appealing, it was Wesley Snipes as Blade. Blade. The first, oh, yeah. before there was Black Panther, there was Blade, played by Wesley Snipes. Yeah. Have you seen Blade, Evan? I personally have it. Is it? Have, have either of you seen Blade? I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen both of them. I know yeah. there's a third. I, I got to see Blade actually for the first time, the very first time on the big screen, probably about two years ago. Oh wow! And it was fun. It was like, um, kind of cheesy. It, it's pretty it was silly. Like, it was like an indication of like how far this this genre has come in the twenty twenty two years since this movie came out. Yeah. But it did have like a watchable appeal to it. it and is I thought that fun. Wesley Snipes part, was pretty pretty awesome. There's <laughs> one part where the main bad guy gets slashed in half and as his torso flies his body just reattaches to itself in like one of the yeah. worst CGI effects I've ever Whoa. seen. And Wesley Snipes literally just turns the camera and mouths off what the fuck? But yeah, this is when it, it, it's, it's pretty. It's yeah. pretty tongue in cheek. It's this silly, is when, but it also has like a pretty good cool factor to it. So at this point, it's pretty fun. At this point in cinematic history, CGI still wasn't at its full yeah. potential. Yeah, yet. you get a lot of effects that look like <clears throat> something yeah. straight out of the and, movie. Um, yeah, as far as uh, like kind of Marvel cinematic villains go, I'm sure we'll get more into that. But uh, like Steven Dorff is actually a really good kind of compelling villain in oh, this yeah. movie. He, uh, he does a good job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think this was a TV movie, but up next is uh, Nick Fury, Agent of, C- Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., and Nick Fury is played by David Hasselhoff. <laughs> the Hoff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, I, I he looks the part of white Nick Fury. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not much to say. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either, so... But... Okay, I guess now shit's getting real because we're in the 2000s. Turn of the century, we have the X Men. The X Men with uh, yeah. Patrick Stewart. We know the cast. Uh, Hugh uh, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, Halle Berry as Storm, Patrick Stewart as Professor X, Ian McKellen as Magneto, and Anna Paquin as Rogue. Right? Yeah. Right. And, and Fab Jansen as Jean Grey. Right, yeah. And James Marsden as a really underutilized Cyclops. It would, uh, this series would take interesting directions over the years. I gotta be honest, uh, you guys yeah. probably followed this more closely than I did, but I, I appreciate X-Men, but I'm not a hardcore fan. And yeah, I've, it's but I've seen... a messy franchise. I have seen yeah. most of the movies, ex- 
most of the movies at least once. So the only one I've ever right. seen yet is the Wolverine. Oh yeah, the Wolverine. Not yeah. speaking. We'll get into that later. Yeah. But yeah. So uh, yeah. interestingly enough, um, that this was the only Marvel property that got released in two thousand. 2001, there were no Marvel movies out that year. But in 2002, uh, Blade 2 came along, and... Uh, Guillermo del Toro made that. Oh, he did? Yeah, he directed it. Yeah. Oh, nice. And, of course, I feel like we need to really buckle our seatbelts here, because cinematic history was forever changed with uh, the next movie we're about to talk about. Uh, the first movie, like I said in the intro... That I this first superhero film I ever saw in the theater was Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, starring Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker slash the Wall the Wall Crawler, uh, Kirsten mm-hmm. Dunst as Mary Jane, James Franco as Harry Osborn, Norma, um Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin. I don't think we have to go through. The yeah, no, we're not going to go. But I'm just doing the first. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm going to recount. This is my definitely uh, our introduction yeah, to Marvel movies. Um, this came out around my time. I would have been seven at the at the time well i was 10 and i remember uh for some reason comic book heroes kind of scared me and i was this i was this wuss bag like i didn't i didn't like going to scary movies well this movie was kind of scary my oh yeah it was like people get turned to skeletons well it's kind of insane my dad it's funny enough you say this because uh my dad dragged my reluctant 10 year old ass to the movie theater to see it and he promised me (laughs) i would like it and i'm telling him no i'm not gonna like it and the scene where uh, he gets bitten and is like in his room, tra- uh, like pulsing yeah, uh, on his so floor, yeah. and uh, yeah. when Will and meanwhile uh, Green Go- uh, Norman Osborn is turning into the Green Goblin with the performance answers. That scene like made my heart stop uh, in the theater. Yeah. I'm just sitting there frozen. And then years later, Back to formula. Yeah. Years later, I discovered that Sam Raimi is a is a seasoned uh, horror film director, oh, yeah. which is why uh, it looks and feels like a horror film at times. So, but I I feel like, uh, yeah, but that's exactly what I was gonna say is that um, it was like he was such an established sort of genre director that he was always gonna bring such an interesting look to yeah. this movie, and like it's a gamble that like really paid off. Yeah, um, you can see his love for his like the source material in it. Yeah. I've seen oh, him yeah. in interviews just gush about how much he loves the character of Spider-Man, and then yeah. you can see his own kind of like style in, of the movies he makes infused into it, and it, yeah. it's really something. Um, the end product, uh, 2002 Spider-Man, like I said at the beginning, was the sort of yeah my sort of catalyst into appreciating this genre of film. Yeah. Well, not only was it a catalyst for all of us since we're all roughly the same age, uh, it made film history in two ways. In the first way, it was the highest grossing opening weekend of all time. No other movie came close. It would take years before another movie broke Spider-Man's opening weekend record. And then every year since 2002, Marvel, regardless of which studio it's under, there has been a Marvel property movie in theaters every year since 2002 onward. So yeah, like Woody Allen over. <laughs> yeah, here. so Spider Man really started it all. And uh, one last thing, uh, he was almost played by Michael Jackson in that desperate time when Marvel was looking to sell IPs for money. That's fucking. I've insane. heard that. Yeah, yeah. I, I cannot. Know, I know. 
I know James Cameron really wanted to do a Spider-Man yes, movie for a while. Yes, he did. That would have been cool. And uh, have either of you, do either of you watch Entourage? You showed it to me for a bit. Yeah. Uh, you saw the season where James Cameron where actually... James, James Cameron wanted to make an Aquaman movie, yeah. And, yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, after the success of Spider-Man, movie studios grabbed uh, other Marvel characters and cranked them into theaters uh, and onto the production floor. And in 2003, we got, like, you know, shell-shocked with just Marvel movie after Marvel movie. But I don't think any of them were good. First Marvel movie from 2003 was Daredevil. Uh, uh, I have not seen Daredevil. I, have. I saw that right. when, I was a, when I saw that as a kid, it traumatized me. Because yeah. I thought it was going to be, like, light and fun like Spider-Man. But it was just grim and nasty and violent the entire way through. Like I saw, yeah. Yeah. I saw this movie years later, like, as an adult, when I had kind of come to appreciate the difference between, like, a good movie and, like, kind of, like, a tacky movie that's yeah. fun. But yeah. this movie came out in 2003, yeah. which in our timeline feels like forever ago. But anyway, yeah. it came out in 2003 after this hugely successful CGI Spider-Man. And it looks like it's from, like... 1980 like yeah <laughs> it, it's it's so much it's so dated by today's standards that i yeah. feel like even that it worked out colin dated. farrell is like embarrassingly bad and he he's <laughs> he's had some bad movies under his belt too yeah but like he mumbles all yeah. of his lines and like all this <laughs> the way he kills people is so silly yeah uh, and his outfit yeah. just sucks. It's like, uh, his name is Bullseye. Put a bullseye on his forehead. We're done. I want the costume. It's also um, worth mentioning that uh, there is... I'm told that there is a director's cut that got released. Uh, I've heard the director's cut is better. I've heard that it actually takes a movie that is unwatchable to makes it almost good. <laughs> I still need to see it. Um, and yeah. also, uh, Daredevil, uh, Ben Affleck ended up marrying the, his co-star. The second Benefer. Yeah. Not the first benefit. He has a thing for Jennifer's. I don't know what yeah. the deal is. And uh, yeah. we'll get to Electra later, but uh, yeah. um, so the next, uh, uh, Michael, have you seen the? Have you seen the, the director's of two thousand? Have you seen the director's cut of Daredevil, Michael? Uh, no, okay. I only ever saw the theatrical. Oh, okay. Whatever, whatever yeah. version, and I only ever saw that like relatively recently. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, Ang Lee's Hulk. I have heard mixed things oh about this. Oh, God. So I saw this the same year as Daredevil as a kid, and I'm, like, even more put off by this movie, because not only is it kind of scary looking, but just looks bad <laughs> in general. Did they go full... I, I'm asking, as someone who hasn't seen the movie, did they do what they did with Fan Forest? It could just go full-on body horror at times? It does. Because Hulk it, would lend himself to that. It has a weird tone, yeah. man. Like it's, it takes itself seriously. It almost feels like an art film. It feels like Ang Lee took anything that was green and put it on his in the, every frame. And then, the, and then there's like cheesy ass comic book transitions. There's really weird editing choices. There's a lot of unnecessary split screen. I haven't seen it okay. since I was young. Yeah. I've only seen it once. But I remember I just hated the entire experience and I never bothered to watch again. I swore off Hulk after I saw wow. this. Wow. Uh, uh, your, your point about Hulk is interesting and I think I will have more to say about it maybe when we reach the MCU. But there's a... Uh, one thing I associate with this movie is uh, 
Nick Nolte had this infamous mugshot in the 2000s. Oh, yeah? Um, I don't know if you guys remember this, but it's this really weird photo of him <laughs> where he looks, he looks, there's no other word for it, really bizarre. Oh, uh, okay. But that, uh, look it up. It was kind of like a meme before memes were a thing. It was like, it was just this like kind of ubiquitous photo in the 2000s. It's this really funny, weird looking photo of Nick Nolte, but it was actually like, this arrest happened while he was making this movie. <laughs> did Nick Nolte? Did Nick Nolte play Thunderbolt Ross in this movie? No, he played. Yes. he played Absorbing oh, no. Man. Oh, okay. Because yeah, I know yeah, yeah, yeah. in Hulk lore, Thunderbolt Ross does become a villain. I believe he, he becomes. He's Red played Hulk. by uh, Sam Elliott. I think. Oh, oh okay. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, no, Nick Nolte plays uh, Bruce Banner's dad. Oh, yeah, yeah. A dad, and he turns into Absorbing Man. Oh, okay. I don't Just know. look up Nick Nolte mugshot if you ever need a look. Okay, yeah, he has. Yeah, I love the Hawaiian shirt. It's just we'll put that up on the screen. Delicious. Yeah, the Nick Nolte mugshot. Oh my god. Um. So, so carrying on. I guess. One that's but what what are the Hulk poodles I've heard so much about? Oh, he fights a bunch of mutant dogs that have like gamma radiation. Yeah, they have oh, gamma radiation oh. dogs. Wow. There's no point where they even put a toad in the microwave because I think that's how that works or something. Oh my god. I don't know. It's a crummy movie. Yeah. And then, uh... Oh, well, 2003's not all bad, because... X2. X X-Men 2. So, uh... Lyle, tell us about, uh, your favorite X-Men and his role in this movie, because apparently your favorite X-Men is insultingly sidelined in this trilogy. And I'm talking about the Brian's Pedosinger trilogy. I do notice my problem with the X-Men movies, in general, is that they primarily focus way too much on Wolverine... Magneto and Charles Xavier and the other people are kind of just there to show off like special effects and shit and like mm-hmm. I don't know like my boy Cyclops kind of just keeps getting sidelined and knocked out or killed off yeah. and that, that pisses me right. off because like he's not I, I'd never get the impression he's like the leader of the X-Men it's like in this movie he gets punched out we see him like I don't know an hour later and he shoots a laser beam and then he cries because Gene dies spoiler alert oh, oh wait wow. She always yep. dies. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. But regardless, X Men Two is really good. Yeah. It's um, it's a little bit under, it's a little bit overshadowed now because of all the superhero movies that have come like now. Yeah. But it, it was yep. pretty impressive for its time. I, I I love that fight scene with Nightcrawler in the beginning. That was awesome. I love the yeah. uh, the raid on the X Mansion. Oh yeah. That was great. And um, yeah, there was a lot of really cool action set pieces. Yeah, I, I love how Pyro just like fries all the cops, <laughs> and like the yeah, only way they uh, can be stopped is when Rogue taps him out. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to someone. Um, well, there are of course other X Men movies, but I, this is now as good a time as any. But I was talking to someone, uh, and at a certain point, I was talking to someone once when I was in Montreal working, and. Uh, at a certain point, all the X-Men productions decided to sort of like migrate there. So every year or every like other year, there was always like an X-Men movie being made in Montreal. Oh, that's <laughs> pretty cool. So he, was, so he was telling me that like the Montreal kind of film industry really owes a lot to that franchise because they would always come back and always like employ a lot of local people and stuff. And he told me he was like sort of a background actor by trade and oh, he was nice. saying like it was just it was just solid reliable work to like always have the x-men in oh place. that's great yeah that's nice <laughs> i that's think still, that's, that's cool. still i'm not sure if that started 
I'm not sure if that started back then or if that started with the kind of more recent wave of films, but I don't know. That's a yeah. that's a cool little um bit of Canadiana. Yeah. Nice. Uh, <laughs> The biggest movie that I know of that was filmed in Montreal um, outside of X-Men was uh, The Day After Tomorrow, which isn't Marvel, but going on. Yeah. Yeah, right. moving on. Uh, 2004 is when Marvel just keeps upping their game. Uh, there was another... Uh, this is the second uh, film adaptation of Punisher. Oh, Thomas Jane's Punisher. <laughs> yeah. I have not seen this Punisher, have I? I actually... Uh, I actually like this movie a lot. Was it... Are, you not, are we not supposed to like it? Or? I don't know. Like it's it's not <laughs> great, but I like it regardless. It's a guilty pleasure of mine. John Travolta is such a batshit crazy villain that you yeah. just don't buy for a second. But I actually, yeah. really, I really like Thomas Jane as Punisher. Like there's there's parts where he's like, kind of like he has a sick humor about him. <laughs> there's one time where he has like a blowtorch and he has a guy like tied upside down. It's like. This thing burns at 4,000 yeah. degrees. By the time it touches your skin, your skin will feel ice cold. He goes like, I don't know anything. I don't know anything. And he takes a popsicle and he pokes yeah. him in the back. He's like, ah! Yeah. And then he just um, like puts the popsicle yeah. in his mouth and says, you are not a nice man. <laughs> wow. There's a lot of like weird scenes here and there. I, I just kind of like its odd like sensibilities. But yeah, I, I personally never... like it. Yeah, it's not I've never seen this, this. I've never seen this movie either. But I remember as a kid, 2004. So yeah, as like a kid, young young teen or whatever. Like, um, I remember John Travolta being played up like a lot in the advertising. Oh yeah. And I was I was more aware of who John Travolta was. And right. Um, so for years in my head, I thought that he was like the Punisher, and then. <laughs> <laughs> And then, like, I, I I, still have not seen the movie, so I don't know why I right. ever made this connection. Vincent but I, Vega, the Punisher. And then I found out, like, oh, he's he's not the main character. Well, at this point in John Travolta's film career, he was yeah. actually try, He was actually looking for a comeback, and I guess the studio wanted to push him as, into the advertising and I mean, out I th- there. I think he could took, he, yeah. I think he tried to take anything he could get. Yeah. Early well, like, I, at this point, the 2000s were kind of a low point for him. Pretty uh, much, yeah. But yeah, so uh, moving on, there's uh, Blade Trinity, the third and I don't know, we'll get to that. The the third and final Blade movie, Blade Trinity. Uh, it's got I Wesley Snipes back again, and uh, it's got I see Ryan Reynolds uh, in the. So this isn't Deadpool. No, he's playing a vampire this hunter. Is, yeah. <laughs> there's one. It's part. not too. Yeah. Sorry, continue. It's yeah. not too. Uh, it's not too dissimilar from who. Deadpool would become because he's uh, this kind of cocky guy. He's got these like katana blade thingies and he's always mouthing off to people. There's this one um, scene where he gets abducted by vampires. And it's like, guys, uh, I hate to warn you, but I just farted and I ate a shitload of garlic today. <laughs> silent, <laughs> silent but deadly. <laughs> they, the if you ever want a good laugh, um, you have to look up. Uh, I can send it to you later or whatever, but there's this hilarious interview that Patton Oswalt did about his experience working on this movie. Because I believe he's in a he's in a couple scenes as like a I don't know, some computer guy. And he tells he tells the hilarious story of um just Wesley Snipes and the director never getting along. Uh I have heard that it is uh it is I mean he's He's great. He's amazing. I'm sure he'll tell this story a thousand times better. But he tells this really hilarious story of just how difficult it became to work on that set because nobody would 
like fudge an inch for the other. Oh, it's wow. a really funny story. <laughs> so I, it seems so. that like actors would start. This is like the third time that I know of where an actor has uh, been in a Marvel movie and gotten a part in another Marvel movie as a completely different character and it's a bigger performance. Like, first it was Ryan Reynolds in Blade Trinity and then he became Deadpool. Then Chris Evans was the Human Torch and then he became Cap. And then yeah. uh, uh, Michael, B. Michael B. Jordan was also the Human Torch and then he became Killmonger. So I think, yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, the other monster entry of uh, 2004 was Spider-Man 2. Uh, and Sp yeah. Spider-Man 2 is debatably the greatest superhero one of the greatest superhero movies ever made. It's It gets this reputation as one of the best, one of, if not the best, Spider-Man movie of all time. And yeah. fun fact, uh, Tobey Maguire almost didn't come back for this movie. He was almost replaced, yeah. he was almost replaced by Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> yeah. We'll get yeah. into why that's funny later on. I don't know, like, when you, he, see, when you see him in yeah. October Sky, I can actually see him as a Peter Parker-like So can I, yeah. Well, cause, a, uh, young, a, a young Jake Gyllenhaal. Well, Tobey Maguire had his uh, fun with period pieces in Seabiscuit, and that's actually where his back injury came to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, yeah. that, that, that would have been a shame if, uh, you know, another role had sidelined him from uh, yeah. doing that. But one thing I find fascinating about Spider-Man 2 is that uh, we all watched it together recently over the summer. Yeah, we did. Uh, Alfred Molina as Otto Octavius is so good in that movie. Like, yeah. he's so... He does that creepy kind of golem thing where he talks to himself. And that's, that scene is like... Yeah. Like, 15, 16 years on, that that scene is like totally chilling. That that yeah. one scene where the, the arms kind of come to life is is paying great homage to like Sam Raimi's earlier films. Like he's yeah. really laying on the horror influence there. And I just like, he's, he's so much fun in that movie. I don't know. It's, it's really yeah. a lot of fun to watch. Oh no. <laughs> sure. Um, it's actually, yeah, that's, it's a great movie. Fun fact. It was a bit, it was a big hit, but it wasn't quite as financially successful as the first Spider-Man. Uh, right. But cri yeah. critically, it surpasses the first Spider-Man. I would rewatch it five yeah. times over just yeah. so it gets and something. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I could, I could wax poetic about that film a lot. Yeah. I, think, I do think Spider-Man Two is one of the greatest superhero movies. But even just the opening credits are such a, such a fun, unique approach to like having to do opening credits. The fact yeah. that they just re recreate the first film in <laughs> this sort of like these like sort of still uh almost this weird kind of like vibrant kind of slideshow of just like events of the previous yeah. film it's it's, yeah. it's a really cool way to like immediately get us back into that I, I it looks I like a like i don't feel like we're wearing like rose tinted glasses either i think yeah. spider-man 2 does hold up so. yeah no like oh, yeah. if i can rewatch it like 16 years later and have it be this good and yeah. it's it's the kind of movie that like I will watch it if I'm ever, like, in a funk or a low point in my life. Because Peter Parker spends 90% of that movie in a low point. I will watch it to relate to Peter. But then at the end, it leaves you with a very nice reminder that everything does get better. It's pretty empowering. It know? really Especially is. Though, yeah. As soon as he gets his vision back after MJ gets captured, it's like... Yeah. Yeah! He's Let's go kick some ass! Yeah. 
<laughs> I want that wall crawling arachnid prosecuted right after I paid Peter Parker to give me pictures of that guy. Mm -hmm. um, Mr. Brent, get me a violin. Uh, so, uh, I'm sorry to kill the tension here, but Marvel has a way of doing that with its release pattern. Uh, in 2005, uh, Jennifer Garner played Elektra. Again. I have to be honest, I have only seen this movie... Uh, I've, I've seen the climax of this movie on TV when I was younger, and I thought Uva Bull directed it. <laughs> That's how silly it looked. I thought Uva Bull directed it. But don't you know, Evan, Uva Bull is better than Michael Bay. Oh yeah, that's right, and he'll he, he uh, is, he'll box Michael Bay to prove that. He, he, he has said it himself. Right, yeah. He said it on a video, too, so it must be true. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so I, what lie. else, what can we say about Elektra? Like, I haven't seen it. Yeah. So I haven't seen it either, yeah. so not, not, not too much contributing. Yeah, but yeah, Marvel did not have a good year in 2005, and the next movie I want to talk about is a movie that I actually did enjoy the first time I saw it. Mm. The first uh, rendition, the second. the second, sorry. Technically. The first one that was public, uh, at least, yeah. rendition of the Fantastic Four. They actually yeah. successfully made a movie this time. Uh, the cast, the four, are played by Yoan Grufford. Did I say his name? Yoan Grufford. Yoan yeah. Grufford, Jessica Alba, who was unknown at the. I think that this movie and Into the Blue, which came out that Paul Walker movie, Man Into the Blue. Star, yeah. yeah, no, that that came out the same summer, and that movie propelled her. Those two movies, these two movies, propelled her to the status of superstar. Then there was Michael right. Chiklis as the thing, and of course, uh, uh, our boy uh, Chris as uh, uh, Johnny Storm, the first Johnny yeah. Storm. Uh, yeah, I have to be honest. The, the it has some fun scenes. Uh, I liked the, I liked the climax a, a little bit. Doctor Doom, I thought was a passable villain. I thought he was lame. Uh, well, the, the way they they talked to him, like they're all scientists. But they're, the boring part, it takes forever for, for things to happen in this movie because it is very very uneventful. They I spend counted, there's only like two action scenes. Yeah, they spend they spend eighty percent of it in a lab, like figuring they're, out they're what just, they're trying to get rid of their superpowers. Yeah. And you, Johnny's yeah. the only one having fun. Uh, I felt I really felt for the thing. This yeah, time. yeah, you feel for Ben. Michael yeah. Chiklis is really good as the thing. Yeah, he's the first person I think of whenever I think of the thing now. Yeah, I know some people complain about his outfit, but given like the times, I'm actually like it would have been way worse if he was CG. Yeah. So I, I commend Strike. <coughs> I commend him for his uh, dedication to his craft. Yeah. For putting himself in that suit day after day. Wow. Yeah, yeah and that that's cool because yeah, I, you just remember yeah that suit's practical like he's wearing that yeah well and it's rare you see like that much detail like um yeah, yeah. what is this on our list this what is man thing i've never heard of it is that a west craven movie what is man, man. thing man thing you it's make just on my it's, heart sing. it's just on this bang, list and i have bang, no clue bang. why Bang, bang, man thing you make <laughs> everything slimy yeah man thing <laughs> Okay. 2005 yeah, movie? Yeah, I, I got no memory of that. Yeah. Okay, no, it wasn't a Wes Craven movie. So, yeah. Okay. I have no idea what this is. It looks like it came out in the really early 90s. Just from this cover alone. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> it, what it was a sci-fi channel movie. It grossed huh. $1 million against a $30 million budget. That's not good. That's kind of sad. Yeah. And this is a Marvel property? 
I guess so, yeah. I have never heard of this. Whatever. Moving on. Moving on. Uh, there's kind of a light <laughs> at the end of the tunnel because uh, what, the what next movie on our list is X. Oh wait, no, not. <clears throat> this is when Brett Ratner came in and so, derailed. Mean, lied to me. You said there'd be a light at the end of the tunnel. The lights delayed a little bit. Sorry, well, there was none. In two thousand, we have X Men: The Last Stand in two thousand six. This is like the Spider-Man three of the X. This X-Men is one of my G. least favorite superhero oh movies God. of all time. <laughs> well, I gotta be honest. I've watched. I watched it like. In the context of just a movie alone, as a movie alone, it's not the worst thing ever, but I, I get it. As an X-Men movie, if you watch it in conjunction with the trilogy, oh, it derails what could have been a really interesting trilogy. Maybe I'm biased because of the first ten minutes. Right, because so, your boy Scott. Yeah, gets killed off on ceremoniously <clears throat> off screen. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, even still, like this movie's a mess. Magneto's like turned from a complex character to a complete Saturday cartoon villain. Um, Speaking of which, a uh, lot of characters unnecessarily die. My favorite just to be brought back again, like a few movies later. My so. favorite line in that whole movie is, "Don't you know who I am? I'm the Juggernaut, bitch." Vinnie <laughs> <laughs> Jones is having he's having a ball. Oh my god. Yeah. I like, um, wait, no, I don't like, I don't like anything. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, uh... Michael, do you have anything to say about X-Men Last Stand? X-Men Last Stand, uh, there's not much I can say about it that hasn't already been said. Uh, San Francisco Bridge is kind of cool. But, weirdly enough, I, I literally never saw this movie until, I kid you not, this calendar year. Oh, yeah? Um, when it appeared on Disney+, Plus, I, I was watching a few things um and i don't know it just occurred to me to watch it i'd heard not great things about it for years and then i watched it and i kind of just shrugged it off yeah so uh there was there was one that 2006 only had one marvel movie 2007 had three the first one was ghost rider with uh nicholas cage Cage. and sam elliott was in this movie too he was in this one as well yeah uh, and Eva Mendes. Yeah. Uh, gorgeous Eva Mendes. And um, the kid from American Beauty. Oh, right. oh, he was there? Yeah. Wow. What's his name? Uh, Wes Bentley. Wes Bentley. Yeah, Wes Bentley. Uh, yeah. Man, to be honest, this movie has really bad pacing. It's so slow. It, just like the Fantastic Four. It, it. Why do all these movies... I'm starting to notice a pattern here. Because well, they didn't. Have Every, the unless down. the unless the movie is X Men or Spider Man, the pacing sucks yeah. and it's not interesting. Like, why is it that Spider Man and the X Men are the only like filmable Marvel properties at this point in history? Well, I think have, it. Yeah, I think it's kind of a down. byproduct of that. I think yeah. that because X Men and Spider Man had s- such big success. I think everyone jumped on the bandwagon and they really wanted to make a movie regardless of quality. So those two kind of set the framework, but um, yeah, there are are a lot of movies from that era that just tried to repeat their success. I feel like they're trying to make the characters look cool (laughs) and they're trying to avoid like the nerdy like stigma of these characters. It's Fantastic Four as like product placement up the wazoo. They don't really care about the science so much. It's more like, oh, Johnny Storm's a cool one, so yeah. we we'll focus more on him. Like, I remember my brother wanted to go see Fantastic Four in the theater just because that one that shot dirt, in the trailer. The dirt bike scene, yeah. In the trailer, yeah. 
Um, Following um, the amazing feat of Ghost Rider. Well, one last thing. Uh, I will say, Nick Cage is having the time of his life. It's right? Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage, so oh, if you yeah. want that, that's all you're getting out of Ghost Rider. That's the best <laughs> part of Ghost Rider, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, so after that... Sam Raimi, after three years, he tapped off the Spider-Man trilogy with Spider-Man 3. And I like to think of Spider-Man, the Raimi Spider-Man trilogy, as the godfather movies of the superhero genre because they are held in such high esteem. The, fir the first two yeah. are regarded as masterpieces and the third one is trashed beyond belief. Um, I, right. I, I like Spider-Man 3. It has I don't hate qualities. it. Like I like it too. It has some bad qualities, yeah. but overall, I, I, I don't mind yeah. it. When I was a kid, the final fight scene with everyone just kind of blew my balls it away. Really, I saw that at a, at a birthday party, and we went nuts. It was amazing. To be that scene yeah. alone, I thought, was worth the price of admission. And then I went on, on the internet, and everybody complained about it and completely soured my experience. Yeah. Well, James yeah. Rolfe actually... Yeah. James Rolfe gave probably the best review I've ever seen for this movie. Like, it's a fun time. People like to complain. Don't let that get you down. Like, when you're trying to enjoy yourself That's true. in a movie. What, what, yeah. An interesting parallel is what Spider-Man 3 and Godfather 3 have in common is they're both sequels to sequels that people say exceeded the original film. Yes, that's also true. So, so when your trajectory of like your trilogy is like, oh, this is getting, uh, this is good, the next one's even better, like you can really only set yourself up for disappointment with that third film. <laughs> you can only go so far, you're right. Well, I feel like also if Sam Raimi had complete control creatively over this film didn't he write the film he did but studio interference yeah. is what caused the villain problem was caused by studio interference he had to do something about harry with peter's rivalry uh he had he wanted if he had his way sandman would have been the only villain uh the studio right. wanted venom because <laughs> well because oh venom no, the studio wanted uh, venom and ever i remember being at summer camp in spider-man 2 when Spider-Man 2 came out, the summer of 2004, and I remember one kid saying, Venom is going to be in the third movie, I just know it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then, what the hell do you know? Uh, three years later, Venom was in the third movie. Uh, his yeah. version, Topher Grace's version of Venom, does Venom no justice at all. Uh, no. no. Topher Grace is scrawny and short, and Eddie Brock is supposed dorky. to be... He's, an, he's nerdy. He was trying to shed his good boy image from that 70s show. Yeah. He did that with a few yeah. other roles, too, like in Predators, but it's like... Uh, and then he went way too far in uh, that Spike Lee joint. No, he was good in that, though. Black, no, Black Klansman. I'm talking about, like, the evil, like, the depth of evil that he, like, sunk to. Yeah, he was really good in that movie, though. He, he's not he very, was amazing. Yeah, he's not very good in Spider-Man 3, but he's just totally yeah. miscast, and well, I feel bad, because it really yeah. hurt his career after that. My, the line, I, the only line in this movie that I hate with a passion in Spider-Man 3 is, I like being bad. It makes me happy. Never wound what you can't kill. That was a good line. I like that line. And then it was immediately followed up by a schlocky line. And what's really sad is uh, Topher Grace, in fact, being bad does not make Topher Grace happy because he needed therapy after playing David Duke in Black Klansman. Okay, but we're not talking about Black Klansman. Yeah, so uh, moving on to uh, <laughs> the last Marvel entry of 2003, 
Sorry, 2007. I'm losing track of the years. In 2007, yeah. there was Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. I have to be uh, honest. I liked... I saw this in the theater with a friend, and we had a good time. I thought it was way more fun <clears throat> than the first movie. Who things... To step in up? in yeah. this movie, things happened. But that's really all you can say about it. It's like G.I. Joe. Like, the second G.I. Joe is better than the first G.I. Joe, but not by much. Yeah. It's... I loved uh, the Silver Surfer. I thought he was Yeah, good. he was the best part of the he movie. Was play, he was played physically by Doug Jones, who was also right. the creature from uh, The Shape, Shape of Water, Water, as well as Pan's Labyrinth. He's done a lot of work. Um, and he was voiced by Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, yeah, Lawrence Fishburne gave a great voice in that movie. They totally fucked up Galactus, though. Yeah. And Galactus is like... I like Galactus even more than Thanos. Well, they... So. They, I hope he comes up in the MCU and they do a much better job of it. Oh, yeah. So, uh, th- not too much to say. It was fun popcorn movie. Nothing special. Um, now, at this point in cinematic history, there's like a couple of Marvel movies, regardless of the studio, each year. They're just, they're just <clears> kind of <throat> batting a thousand right yeah. now because they're but, not doing so well. Hey, not doing so well, huh? Well, what we're about to talk about next changed everything. Uh, <laughs> in 2008, um, there we go. A a recovering drug addict uh was given a job by this uh bit of a a bit of a he's he's an interesting filmmaker i like john favreau john favreau gave robert downey jr a job and the rest is history i feel like we can just stop the podcast there because we all know what happens next but let's talk about it Um, yeah i was so i went into iron man disenfranchised i'm gonna be completely honest because Every other every other Marvel property I had dipped my toes into outside of Spider-Man or X-Men had disappointed me beyond belief. I was bored out of my skull with the Fantastic Four. Uh, Ghost Rider annoyed me, and I had no hope for Iron Man. I thought it was going to just, you know, be fun the first time, and then that was it. I saw this with right. my friend, and I was remembering it when I when I went to school, like that uh, the weekend after I saw it, because I saw it opening night. And the theater, yeah. the theater wasn't super busy that I remember. Um, I went to uh, the Lyle. I've taken you to the Elgin uh, Cinema up in Richmond Hill. Yeah, yeah, that's one of uh, the movies I've seen a lot of uh, classics at. Uh, but anyway, so it wasn't crowded, and then I liked it so much that when I saw it with my friend, I went to go see it a second time with my dad, and my dad and I had some long like philosophical discussions about like you know how tony stark and his relationship to war and how he's attached yeah. to the suit that was great so it, it was a fun movie that stayed with a lot of people the character grew on everyone as we know but this was yeah. history in the making and we didn't even know it yet so also that's, in exact, two- that's exactly what i was gonna say uh we didn't know it yet i don't think they even kind of really knew the extent yet but regardless of what follows uh this whole like 23 movie universe like the first iron man movie is such a fun movie and it's like it's such a solid superhero character driven kind of movie like it stands up tremendously well it's pretty good yeah yeah and tony stark was able to build this in a cave with a box of scraps Yeah, and he, uh, Jeff Bridges pulls pulls off a fantastic uh, yeah, performance actually, in that. Yeah, I don't mind him as a villain, actually. Uh, I remember when um, I saw him with my parents, my mom was like, yeah, it's Jeff Bridges. I'm like, who? You know, Big Lebowski. 
Who? Yeah. He usually has hair. He didn't have hair in this movie, but he normally has hair. Yes. Uh, Lyle, did you not... You didn't know this until I told you, but do you know that uh, Jeff Bridges has a twin brother named Bo Bridges? No. They even... D they did a movie together called The Fabulous Baker Boys. Okay. I don't think... I don't think they're twins, but oh. I am aware that... He oh, has a brother. Oh yeah, no, the, he has a brother named Bo. Okay. But, yeah. Bo Bridges um, is a pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah, he's a solid character actor in his own right. So he, he works on all. Of them. Now, and their father is a Hollywood legend too. Oh, Hollywood that's legend. true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lloyd Bridges, right? Yeah. Yep. He was in. He was in Airplane. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, the next Marvel property of 2008 that would follow. Oh, uh, shit. It's not great. Why is the Hulk cursed with like so? I can't... Because they just make him a beast. Well, they make him an angry brute, and like the only thing Bruce Banner does is like he has to avoid not getting angry, and that's that's the only thing that drives his character is he either wants to get rid of the Hulk or he has to control his anger. Now they don't do anything much deeper than that, and all his all his fights are basically just oh bam bam bam. It's not much else. Yeah. He's not really a good leading character, I think. Michael, why don't we ask you, how do you feel uh, this actor who plays him in this version... Edward Norton. Edward Norton. How does, he, how does he compare to what we would later know as the Hulk, full-time? Um, Edward... Edward Norton is a really good actor in his own right, he is. but I am I am really happy that he was succeeded by Mark Ruffalo. Um, yeah. I did see this... I did see this Incredible Hulk movie uh, pretty recently, like within the kind of last couple of months of lockdown. And uh, it just, I don't know, it didn't really do anything for me. Uh, Bruce is not that interesting in this movie. He's kind of um, neurotic the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. The only there's, funny there's, scene... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. There's the, there's the one joke... Uh, it's all good. There's that one, like, kind of awkward joke where he's holding up, like, the purple pants. And, right, uh, yeah. It's like, it's, like, the sort of fun, self-aware joke that Marvel would, like, become really excellent at pulling off. But in that, like, in that instance of it, it it's it's pulled off so poorly. It's just, like, kind of one of those, like, wah-wah, like, sad foghorn jokes. Was, and to me, that's just, like, everything wrong yeah. with this movie. It's, I was going to say, there's... It's trying to be fun, and it just has nothing going for it. The only funny scene in the whole movie is when it's like, oh, do you want to take a subway in New York? It's like, you really want to put me in a giant tube underground? Not a good idea. Okay, let's take a cab. And then the cabbie is like... zooming the... around New York yelling and screaming. Yeah. Liv Teller's <laughs> like, you asshole! And then Banner's like, you should really learn how to control your anger. I can Whoop. give you, I can give you meditation tips, breathing exercises. <laughs> oh, this God. movie uh, does have. I I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. However, as as much as this movie doesn't interest me, this movie does uh, have the distinction of filming scenes in Toronto. Yep, yeah, uh, Street. One of um, the most iconic pizza places in that was in our city we talked about this in the pizza episode from last week uh the big slice is very visible in the shot so and... is the strip club zanzibar ah uh, yes <laughs> I, I knew you were gonna say that <laughs> yeah he knows um, yeah the big slice that's a trauma staple yeah. my uh my, my parents met at ryerson and they used to go there oh that's, that's, that's pretty... sweet how sweet um, that's that's uh, <laughs> but yeah the the, uh, the inclusion of Zanzibar is, is definitely one of those funny kind of Toronto yeah. Easter. Right? Yeah. Uh, 
Not much else to yeah. say about Incredible no, Hulk, regrettably. It, it, it is, and if, you, if you've got a puzzle, this is like that piece that you swear doesn't fit, but you, still you does. You could technically skip Incredible Hulk. You would, but here's the thing. Uh, they weren't very, It it's not as interconnected uh, as the other Phase 1 movies, because um, the reality was... Universal still had the rights to the Hulk, and they did they, they they didn't understand the potential they were sitting on for the cinematic universe. So, the Hulk yeah. came and went, and that's really all I can say. The next entry from two thousand eight is Punisher Warzone. <laughs> I've never heard. I've never seen I, this. I have sat through this movie. Is it, it is insane? Yeah. Ray Stevenson is like the Punisher is just this emotional. He's like this emotionless machine. It just grinds through people like meat. Yeah. There's one fucking scene where there's these parkour kids that are just jumping between rooftops. And, war- and I don't know why he did this, but Punisher just grabs a rocket launcher, shoots one of the parkour members midair, and just blows up into pieces. And everyone's like, holy fucking moly. <laughs> Wayne Knight plays like his tech wizard guy. Of who, course. Like, gives him like computer advice Wait. and shit. Oh, wow. It's like, wow, this is like the last thing I saw Wayne Knight in. Is that like, is he like his character in Space Jam? Where he's like this dweeby uh, uh, assistant? Kind of, not as extremely over the top, though. Yeah. It is, um, it holds the distinction, I think, of being the first Marvel movie directed by a woman. Oh! Yeah, go figure. But yeah, Punisher Warzone's pretty silly, but mm-hmm. it, it's fun in its own right. Yeah. Very mature, it was part of a new, uh... Marvel uh, campaign of uh, Marvel Knights. Yeah. It was a production banner that came out, and they were going to make other stuff. I think they were going to make another Daredevil movie, but it just never came into fruition. Do you think uh, that's Oh, wait, how... no, no, no. Ghost, Ghost Rider uh, Spirit of Vengeance was also part of the banner. But, yeah. So there was else. a whole other cinematic universe, like, going on. They wanted to set something up, but it just didn't fall. It fell through. Well, do you think maybe that tra- that's how the Netflix shows came to be later on? We're not yeah, going to talk I, about I those. I think but... what they wanted to do was very similar to what the um, the Netflix shows ended up being. Yeah. 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 That would become a sort of hilarious, ironic trend in the decade to follow. Yeah. Marvel was so successful with their cinematic universe that everything just had to be <laughs> it, it a did, cinematic universe. It started a trend, for better yeah. or worse. Yeah. 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 Cool. But nobody does it better. Alright, so anyway. after Warzone, there was another uh, disaster waiting to happen. Well, this was, a, this was dead on arrival because a bootleg version of this movie leaked to the public and it, it killed a lot of people's hype. X-Men Origins oh. Wolverine. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. I have not seen this movie, but I've heard I've all... I've seen it. This was the introduction to Deadpool, and apparently it was a disgrace. It's really fucking bad. Yeah. He doesn't wear the outfit. He doesn't break the fourth wall. He's in it for about, I'd say, well, no more than ten minutes. Isn't he like a quippy fuckhead, and they he staple start, his mouth starts, shut? He starts off very quippy. Like, Ryan Reynolds embodies the character well enough for what he's given. Yeah. he's in, Like, it's not a perfect rendition of Deadpool, but it's good enough. Yeah. For what they were going for. But yeah, then he just disappears throughout most of the movie. And it's like, oh, he died. 
And then he shows up at the end, and he's all stitched up, and he's like a giant mutant freak, and yeah. he just looks like shit. So was Marvel gonna <laughs> do? Was Marvel gonna do origin movies for their other heroes? They like, wanted to make a Magneto movie, but that got shelved. Well, but, technically, that's that that want, came to be like two years later, but we'll get into that. Yeah, but the solo Magneto movie, and then they also wanted to yeah. do a Gambit movie with Channing Tatum, which also didn't come yeah. through. Now, um, yeah. The, now the year is 2010. Uh, the MCU took a break uh, for 2009, but every year since 2010, the MCU has had one entry in theaters at least. Uh, Iron Man, Iron Man Two came about in 2010. I remember being super excited to see this, and then uh, I went uh, to the theater with my friend. Uh, my hype was dead after 20 minutes. Um, the pacing mm. is awful. It is fun to watch Tony Stark do things, um, and the he's last... He's kind of an asshole in this movie, though. Well, he's dying. Yeah, kind of. And, and then he fixes it in one scene. No, in, in Iron Man 3, well, uh, the whole conflict could have been resolved, because in the Iron Man 3, he has surgery to take the arc reactor out of his chest. I'm like, you, couldn't you have just done that? And you're, And his suit doesn't need the arc reactor in his chest to power itself like the suit is self uh sustaining with its power and 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 i was and, and i was thinking this when i see war machine come in and that was his introduction was okay i didn't i we i truly underestimated how integral of a role he would play in the mcu and speaking of actor change yeah. uh we forgot to mention this when we talked about <laughs> iron man but really terrence did. howard uh was replaced uh as Rhodey, because Terrence Howard was being Terrence Howard. He wanted more money. More money than Robert Downey Jr. even. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Yeah. That's funny to think about when you look back on it. Next time, baby. Nope. I actually thought to myself, Michael, did you ever get to a moment where like, you see like Incredible Hulk or Rhodey in the first Iron Man and you wonder, like, don't you just wish that for consistency's sake they were played by... Mark Ruffalo and Don Cheadle from the get-go, because Don Cheadle, like we've yeah. seen, we've seen yeah. him more as Rhodey in the other movies. We have seen him a lot. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, Don. No disrespect to Terrence Howard, but I do think Don Cheadle's a better actor. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I, I personally dislike Iron I, Man. I, too. I like how they they um. This is kind of an example of a sort of meta sort of joke that Marvel pulls off really well, but um. Iron Man 2 does have a pretty funny instance of Don Cheadle entering as like an established character. Oh, yeah. Totally a different actor. And then Robert Downey Jr. says to him, like, I wasn't expecting to see you or something along those lines. And he, Don Cheadle, just in one line, he swiftly addresses and resolves the recasting just by saying, well, it's me. I'm here. Deal with it. <laughs> and that was great. I always thought that. I always thought that was a really funny kind of like. Wink you, you know what? Thing. Also, you know what? Other joke is meta by today's standards. Uh, there's a scene where he's in Monaco and he's talking to people in this continuous shot, and one of the people he talks to is Elon Musk. Uh, That's right. He is in that movie. I yeah. forgot about that. Elon Musk had a cameo in Iron Man too. Uh, so did Olivia Munn. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, and Kate Mara. Oh my god. There's a lot of fucking people who Kate Mara, yeah, she's the the F the agent who summons him to the uh, Senate committee. Yeah. Do you think Sam Rockwell will ever return and be like, I'm gonna get my revenge on you? 
Uh, or is he just stuck in prison for the rest of time? Yeah, you never see him again. He well, never comes back, no. I think uh, he... I think what he, a missed opportunity. Well, I thought he was, like, all over the place as, oh, like, yeah, as a character. I, I love Sam Rockwell, but that was the first thing I ever saw him in, and it wasn't a good impression. Oh, that was the first thing you ever yeah. saw Sam Rockwell in? Yeah. You poor soul. Sam Rockwell, I've had this conversation with people before, but Sam Rockwell is, like, one of those actors where regardless of the quality of what he is in he is usually the best part of it like yeah. almost always he 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 doesn't um yeah like he he will elevate the project and i will watch um, him and anything <laughs> i can't i can't say the same about mickey rourke uh, uh no mickey rourke M- mickey rourke i it feels like mickey rourke hated making this movie because he did an interview with seth myers and he looked annoyed the whole time yeah. It's like, I don't right. give a shit about this. No, and this is like right after his comeback. With The Wrestler, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you want to go to a Mickey Rourke movie, go watch Spun. Oh. He is amazing. But yeah, 90% of everything he says in Iron Man 2 is in the trailers. It's so Basically, disappointing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that stupid <laughs> joke about his bird. Yeah. I want my I want my bird. Bird. Yeah. But apparently he was supposed to... This movie suffered from studio interference because apparently Mickey Whiplash was supposed to have a bigger, like, character in the movie and they just cut out, like, a ton of his stuff. And Mickey Rourke also wasn't happy about that. I would probably say the best aspect of Iron Man 2 would be uh, Black Widow. Yeah, and uh, she's barely a character, but, you know, it's she's nice. Uh, it's nice to see her, and... Yeah, it is we, nice to see her. We truly underestimated, like, just just I'm like uh, just sorry. like Rhodey, we truly underestimated, like, how integral she would be to this story, this continuous series of films. Yeah. So, yeah. moving and on to... Yeah, oh, go okay. on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. And, uh... We we completely forgot to mention that uh, this is where post credit scene mania started with the first Iron Man because a huge actor plays Nick Fury in a thirty second scene that gets everyone pumped. He's the badass motherfucker. Yeah, Samuel Jackson. Right. I, I I actually just like literally just I was I was doing some research before we spoke tonight, but I was kind of reading about how that cameo came to be, and uh, Marvel was. Like they so badly wanted to commit that cameo to secrecy that they uh, didn't even let Samuel Jackson walk onto the set. Like they physically drove him to the set so he would kind of not be spotted on the set. Oh wow! And um, and they were like so uh, they wanted to keep it so secret. I'll admit when I saw Iron Man in theaters in two thousand eight, I didn't even know about that scene because yeah, post credit mania wasn't a thing yet. Yeah, so. I, uh, it wasn't until the home release or whatever they actually saw yeah. it, but they, uh, they were like so adamant that they had like pulled off this like little kind of heist, um, <laughs> wow. getting Samuel Jackson to appear in this movie. And then they, and then on Monday it was like online, like people had found out that he, he had filmed the scene for the movie. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, that, that's great. Also my stepdad, uh, would actually have a habit of staying till the the end of the credits in anything he watched in the theater, like even before uh, Marvel Mania. Yeah. But then he told me, Evan, there's a scene. He can't, he saw Iron Man uh, with his buddy Gord, and uh, my stepdad came home and he's like, Evan, did you stay till the end of the credits? I'm like, what? No. And he's like, oh, Samuel Jackson's there. I'm like, oh, okay. But Samuel Jackson also has a small role in Iron Man too, and there's really not much more we can say about it. It's 
I I wouldn't skip it, but it's not. It's the weak. It's one of the weaker entries of the MCU. Uh, 2011. Uh, things would sort of pick up. Uh, Thor. Lyle, you have some things to say about the Kenneth Branagh Thor movie. Yeah, it's an ugly movie. And I didn't even maybe that Battlefield Earth overused the Dutch angle. Watch Thor and just say, "Wow, this trend needs to die." But why? Why Dutch angles? I don't get that. Because it makes things look weird. Do you know what would have worked? Um, the Dutch angles are mainly in scenes with Loki, and the whole idea is that like Loki's slanting the whole image of Asgard because. Um, Loki. Yeah, I was, yeah. yeah. I was gonna say, you guys. Uh, I know we're all film guys, but we, some listeners might have wanted clarity on what a Dutch angle. A Dutch is. angle is <laughs> when you tilt a camera. Like, let's say your camera is, is like completely uh, yeah. stable, completely uh, leveled, and you tilt it forty-five degrees, so the image looks diagonal. And yeah. it's, yes. a, it's a bit of an Once off-kilter it. look. Yeah. It's very Once you're aware of that, you'll never stop seeing it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it, it can be used effectively, but more often than not, it's kind of a cheap way to make things look weird. Yeah. Well, anyways, this movie was actually the first like big breakout lead role for Chris Hemsworth because up until this point in movie history, the only thing he was known for was that small scene in the Star Trek reboot from 2009 where he's George Kirk, Kirk's father, yeah. in the intro. Sure. And that was a great role for him i really yeah. liked that but he's under this, this yeah. was leaked uh, relatively recently like maybe a year or two ago but i remember seeing this uh, i guess not even leaked it was just like a like a deadline hollywood article or something like that but from back in like 2009 2010 when they were prepping the thor movie it was this article about like people they were considering like people that were kind of shortlisted yeah and the two like standout names were Shia LaBeouf and Josh Hartnett. Josh um, Hartnett, I can see, but not Shia LaBeouf. Oh my god! Like, it's just it's just funny because those two guys would have been way better known than Chris Hemsworth. Well, and now Chris Chris Hemsworth is synonymous with the role of Thor, and he became a huge star in his own right. Yes, yeah. just kind of funny how how much it can change for you. Exactly, and uh, we saw some other change. Uh, later that summer with Chris Evans in, uh, but first before I want to talk about him, the movie that came out Thor came out in May I actually remember Thor came out the weekend before uh, my high school prom and we I was so busy with like uh, projects and, and prom preparation and stuff that I just forgot about it and I skipped it, um, but I saw it later that summer uh, the movie I did see uh, was X-Men First Class uh, before high school was over and, um, I, this is actually my favorite X-Men out of all of them. Like, I really had fun in the theater watching this. Um, I thought it was a very fun ride. X-Men First Class is, uh, first class oh, yeah. in my opinion. X-Men, X-Men First Class was directed by, uh, Matthew Vaughn, right? Matthew Vaughn. Yeah. So he, this is not a Marvel movie, but I really adore the movie Kick-Ass. Me too. Um, yeah. So I always appreciate it when a director can do something kind of uh, remarkable and a movie that stands out, and then they kind of get that next opportunity. And I yeah. think that's really what happened there. Like yeah. he, he he proved himself with that Kick-Ass movie, and uh, X Men First Class is like a really solid entry into the yeah. franchise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so 
Yeah, that was it was a cool movie. I had fun with it. Uh, the next and next on our list is Captain America: The First Avenger. At this point in history, this is the fourth cinematic incarnation of Captain America, and they got him right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Red Skull looks incredible. Uh, the movie feels very much like there's a very steampunk movie a feel to this movie. It, it's just. It's one of those MCU movies that I don't think about too often, but whenever I revisit it, it's so enjoyable. And it there's has a so lot of heart to it. It's pretty solidly oh, put yeah. together. And if you yeah. look, and it establishes the life and the world that Steve Rogers as a character comes from, and how much he wants it back. When you watch him in like the later movies, yeah. yeah. And what's what's cool about this this movie is uh, it's grounded in like history. Um, yes. So yes, it it does have a, it does have you know some kind of superhero tropes of you know, blue glowing things yeah. or whatever. But it's all grounded in the Second World War. So there's yeah. like some pretty brutal kind of raw action in there. The closing yeah. credits of of this of this movie are all real uh, World War Two American propaganda posters for the uh, war propaganda posters, and they're, like, tailored, like, with, like, the Captain America image. It's really cool. Yeah. Uh, so, the big one, all these movies we're talking about, uh, Iron Man 2, Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Thor, Incredible Hulk, and Captain America, they were building up to a landmark piece of entertainment. The movie... They were building up to was uh, oh fuck before Ghost, that Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. God damn it! I forgot that movie came out before what I wanted to talk about. So Ghost, I haven't seen this one. All I know about this there's a bit in a, in a TV spot where he pees fire. Yeah, it's directed by the guys. Who made, it's directed by the guys who made Crank, Neville Dean Taylor. Oh wow, it's fucking awesome. Oh. I didn't see this. Like I, I haven't seen this, but like I can tell they put their like kinetic heads together to make something truly like yeah. off the wall which i can kind of appreciate but i don't know if that makes it a good movie yeah okay so is it time to talk about it now about time yeah dun 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 the avengers the avengers not the british tv show the avengers not the Omicron piece of shit <laughs> oh my god I, this was the first midnight screening I had ever gone to. I remember um, I was in a uh, seminar uh, at that particular point in my life. Yeah. I left the se- I ducked out of the seminar early, hopped on the subway, went to meet my friends, and we drove to the theater. And there was a wicked thunderstorm last night. It was almost as if Thor had lit up the sky just for this movie. Uh, I love it. So. And there was also, and it also played directly into that line uh, when Thor is introduced, where like lightning <clears throat> inexplicably appears and thunder, and then Cap is like, "What's the matter? Scared a little lightning?" And Loki's like, "I'm not overly fond of what follows." And then the rest is history. I this um, was, I was, I gotta be honest, I was dreading for this movie to be just another like popcorn like flick that to just come and go. It wasn't. Like, this movie stayed with me for months afterwards. It did something that movies hadn't done for me in a long time. It made me feel like a kid again, just enjoying and having so much fun. And just, it felt, having it, having going to the movies be like a roller coaster ride. Mm-hmm. I mean, I fawned I, over it enough. Yeah. What was it like for you guys, just seeing it in the theater for the first time? 
Oh, it was epic. I guess yeah. when I when I first watched it in a packed theater with my girlfriend at the time, um, it was pretty it was pretty exciting. And I remember like I was worried. Well, actually, you know what? I wasn't even all that worried. I knew it was going to be good, but I wasn't expecting how solid overall it would be. Every character has like a, a proper beat. Everyone has like their time to shine. No one's like put in the sideline. No one's just a special effect. Like I, I care for all six of the characters, and Loki is a fun villain. And like the final action sequence is immense and immaculately put together. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, and um, <laughs> the the moment I died when uh, Hulk smashed Loki <laughs> is a moment yeah. I will always remember throughout my theater going yeah. experience. I remember people going nuts for that. My favorite. Oh, sorry. Go on. No, go on. I had a very similar experience too. Uh, what was kind of funny was I, uh, I think I had plans to see it or something like that, but I had not actually purchased any tickets for it. Oh, so yeah. I went to the Scotiabank Theater in uh, downtown Toronto. Yeah, my heart lives there. It's been kind of sad great, not going great, there. Great theater. Time. But anyway, um, we showed up to the theater and it was just so unprecedented like how many tickets this was selling like it was so busy that they were adding shows they were like they had a midnight screening plan but then they were adding like a 12 10 and like a 12 20 and blah 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 yeah and we were like okay we'll just see it when we can see it and we saw it like like maybe 12 12 30 somewhere in there yeah <clears throat> and it was yeah it was a blast it was everything you guys said it was and then i just remember uh after the screening everyone exiting the theater the max the mass exodus of like four simultaneous screenings of this movie and everyone was just so excited and so like a buzz yeah and it just had it did have that feeling where it stayed with me for a while yeah. and i remember having to get up early or something the next day and just thinking it was so <laughs> definitively worth it i'm like yeah. i'm so glad that i went and saw that yeah. It, it would have either made or it would either make or break Marvel Studios. That's so true. It had to be successful. It did, uh, and, and it was. Lo and behold, it was. Uh, it, and we continued watching. It was. It was at this moment that I realized that all these things were connected. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Uh, just going back to the characters very briefly. Black Widow is expanded in ways we didn't see possible. Hulk is redone fabulously. Holy and, shit. And Hulk with, yeah. done in the Avengers. And with Loki, they took a an okay, or I would say good villain, and made him a iconic an villain. iconic villain. Like this, this was one. Yeah, Loki, Loki was fantastic yeah. in the movie. But this was this was one thing I would wanted to make sure I didn't forget when we got the movie. Yeah, Hulk had suffered through two like thoroughly mediocre solo films and i remember when this movie came out everyone loved hulk like yeah ev like like people went nuts for him he was everyone's favorite character and yeah. it just kind of went to show that he worked so well as like a piece of the puzzle like when you kind of gave him this really meaty supporting role it was really what his character needed yeah, yeah. and and yeah now we're now there's been a billion hulk movies yeah. since then and <laughs> <laughs> he's always um, a yeah, Mark Ruffalo made him very affable. You're yeah. right. Uh, he wasn't just mopey ninety percent of the time. Yeah. 
So, uh, uh, Marvel Studio at this point, Marvel Marvel Studios, the studio that is responsible for distributing the MCU, had been bought out by Disney. So, uh, from this point on, Disney would take over distribution of everything. But meanwhile, at Sony, their uh, flagship uh, character that they still have the rights to got a reboot two months after the Avengers hit theaters. And boy, did people have mixed feelings about that. Andrew Garfield took on the spider suit in The Amazing Spider-Man. The web series. Yeah, directed by Mark Webb. That's what I call it. That's so great. Yeah, I know. I I don't really give a fuck about these movies. um, I think it's kind of cool that they kind of explored a side of Peter Parker that we haven't seen before. Like, they, they talk about his parents. We had they never mentioned his yeah. parents a lot. Andrew Garfield's a good actor. I loved his 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 role in the social network is what gave me the faith that he would be good in this movie. Uh, yeah. People people compare him to Shia LaBeouf as Sam Witwicky in Transformers when they talk about his version of Peter Parker. Okay. Because well, he stutters a lot, he has the mannerisms of like a of a yeah. dweeb. He's who... not really a total nerd though. Like he's kind of like a well, hip nerd. He's like this uh, skater yeah. kid who doesn't really fit in with the masses. Yeah, and yeah, he's not. They tried to reinvent him in a way that didn't quite work. It felt like um, Sony watched a bunch of Gatorade commercials and said, <laughs> "No, it's it feels it felt it felt like Sony watched a bunch they of Gatorade." They wanted him to be cool. Yeah. But yeah. Peter Parker never was cool. Yeah. So it's annoying. When you watch the uh So here's the thing about this movie, this two thousand twelve Spider Man movie. Yeah. I think it has some interesting stuff in it, and I think it's an interesting like tone for the movie. Yeah. But where it falls apart is the fact that it makes promises it doesn't exactly bank on. Bingo. Yeah, by which I mean two years later it would be followed by a sequel that is so detached from this movie it doesn't even feel like the same series so, it would ultimately be the only sequel it would yeah. not be a trilogy it would be a duology I whatever would... you call it oh, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. these two movies are so disjointed that it's kind of just weird yeah cash is yeah. checks they, they can't they they had they got like they also something interesting to know they got uh, a whole, they went from uh who's the name of the guy who died in a plane crash very tragically uh, he scored avatar titanic a bunch of james uh, howard shore no howard shore is lord um, of the rings james horner oh. james horner okay james horner yeah. uh I amazing one. spider-man 2 uh was very tragically i think i believe this it, it was the last movie he scored so he couldn't come back for the sequel he was replaced with uh alan Sol- uh it, no he was replaced with Hans zimmer in the sequel Oh yeah, and can we just get the sequel out of the way? Because I don't want to yeah. talk about when it comes up. The sequel, uh, I enjoy it even less than this movie. I mean, I I can still I enjoy it even less than X Men Three. Oh well, uh, well we talked that about says it a lot. We talked about it again in our bad movies episode. No, um, no, I picked that one specially because, like, yeah. I remember I came to a theater. It was like a, it was like an underground theater. And there was, like, games and concessions. People were dressed like Spider-Man. It was a big event for this theater. They really wanted to sell tickets. I was and it sitting, bombed. I was sitting next to a girl dressed like Gwen Stacy. I, I will say Emma Stone's all right as Gwen Stacy. I love her as Gwen Stacy. She's all right. I mean, yeah. like, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then, like, I, I sat through the whole thing, and I just felt drained afterwards. Yeah. And I, I was saying to myself, like, 
fuck. Yeah. That was a huge waste of my time. And I even turned to the girl who was dressed as Gwen Stacy. I'm like, well, how did you like it? She's like, it was, it was okay. Um, yeah, okay. It was like that unconfirmed feeling yeah. that you get. Well, the one good part of the se- of the of the second movie is the scene where he fights the goblin and she and they recreate the classic comic book scene where he she, he kills Gwen Stacy. That's like the only uh, that's the only scene that really matters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the whole movie this, built up to out, that. Out of this two and a half hour movie, yeah, that was the one scene. Yeah. The thing that is especially kind of weird about Amazing Spider-Man Two is it ends in like the middle of a fight yeah which obviously which obviously they thought they were gonna get the chance to make a million more sequels it's even yeah. been rumored they're running their own cinematic universe yeah but, well, it's uh, dumb because that's they, how they ended the trailer it's just like it's 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 such an odd choice to like end the movie that way because they kind of cemented their own fortune like yeah it just the series just ends on such a weird note and we never get to see what happens to those characters well they well what they were going to do what you're right michael they were going they wanted to make a cinematic universe because they saw what marvel studios was doing and they wanted to do that but with spider-man and now i think there is potential for a cinematic universe within spider-man lore the spider-man into the spider-verse movie is already getting a sequel so that proves that point but yeah uh the way the fact that uh asm2 flopped and uh their lineup wasn't very interesting like they wanted to give the sinister six their soul a solo movie they wanted to give venom eventually got uh his solo movie but we'll get to talk about that yeah but anyways uh yeah this i i spider-man is my favorite superhero and i i asm i think is the only spider-man movie that i like dislike like yeah it's really asm2 ASM sorry i I can i can still have my heart still has like a soft spot sort of for uh parts of the the first amazing spider-man there's only one part of asm2 that i actually like and that's at the end and by then you have to sit through a long movie but when uh when spider-man like we said that spider-man was the first like kind of superhero movie that got us into this genre um, yes, there have been like several iterations and kind of new Spider-Men over the years, but it's almost kind of a fun tradition at this yeah. point <laughs> yeah. to like keep seeing this character on the big screen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so going back to the journey with Marvel, uh, 20, we're in 2013 now, and in this year we had Iron Man three, um, uh, and we a welcome return after he kicked ass in the Avengers. It turns out that all the stuff he did in that big battle at the end of the Avengers really messed him up. And you get to see how Tony Stark, like, reaches an arc in not only the MCU, but over his own trilogy. Um, it was mm-hmm. um, it, it was directed by Shane Black, who had worked with uh, Downey on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang uh, seven years prior. So, right. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was supposed to be his big comeback vehicle but it didn't bring in the revenue that they were hoping for. So Iron Man and Tropic Thunder were Robert Downey Jr.'s big, like, official, official comeback movies. Yes. Yeah. So Iron Man 3, I think it's clever. Um, I 
there was a I was I didn't know how to feel when I wa- left the theater I didn't know how to feel about what they did with the Mandarin because in Iron Man lore the Mandarin is like the Green Goblin of of villains for Iron Man he's like the, he's like mm-hmm. Iron Man's Joker he's the arch nemesis so yeah, there's they, 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 a bit of a disservice but I can see why they did it yeah they want to make us to be clever yeah they want to be clever and it's it's almost like mysterio in spider-man far from home kind of recycled that whole shtick with like subverting expectations through deceit so anyways i i never i saw iron man 3 like months after it came out like i somehow missed its theatrical release and i remember watching it at home and you know sometimes when you watch movies at home you you might be distracted or whatever but um i remember when that plot twist came up i was like so confused i was like (laughs) did i miss something and then i realized like what they were going for and i was i I don't know i always thought that twist was really kind of funny so i never minded it yeah um yeah. <laughs> but because I have no attachment to the comics, the twist I thought was clever. It didn't bother me. Yeah. So moving yeah. on, uh, the Wolverine. Not to be. Co- I, what is it with making like solo movies for Wolverine? Yeah, I gotta say, at this point, when this movie came out, I was like, I'm so fucking tired of Wolverine. Yeah. Like, he's in every. X- he's practically the protagonist of every X Men movie. And now we have more and more spinoffs about him, and I'm like, I just don't care anymore. So I skipped this, and I still have yet to see it. I will see it sometime soon, probably this year. The opening, the opening uh, scene is surprisingly graphic. Okay. Yeah. It, Michael, have you yeah. seen this movie? Yeah. I have seen this movie. Um, I don't remember it as definitively as James Mangold's next Wolverine movie. Oh yeah. Um, but I am glad that this was made so he could get the chance to make that movie, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I, yeah, I don't really, I only remember, like, the first, the opening scene. I don't really remember this movie too well. I've only seen it once, uh, but. I've seen it once. Oh, yeah. And then the last (laughs) Marvel movie of 2013 was Thor The Dark World. Uh, The reason I enjoy this movie so much is because they ordered reshoots to have more Loki because he was so popular in the Avengers. Uh, Loki is the the only thing I actually enjoyed about this movie. Yeah, I would agree with that. He is quite good in this movie. This uh, This is a very generic, banal movie. Well, it, you remember how Michael brought up an interesting point about the ASM movies where uh, the Thor The Dark World looks and feels nothing like the first Thor movie. And this is very likely because all three Thor movies had different directors. And that was a problem with like the tone of the character trilogies. Like, yeah. Iron, the Iron Man trilogy had Jon Favreau for the first two, and then yeah. Shane Black took over for the third one and changed the tone completely. Uh, Captain America, I kind of make sense because Captain America had Joe Johnson to show him in the 40s, and then in the present day, he's directed by the Russell brothers when he goes into the future. So, yeah, the, t- the tone change makes sense because he's in a new time, but with Thor, each of his movies feel like they're like they're not part of a trilogy. Um, Alan hmm. Taylor directed The Dark World, and he was a huge Game of Thrones director, and there is a reason why Asgard looks like King's Landing. It's because it was supposed to be that way. 
They wanted to pander to the Game of Thrones fans, it's too. stylistically designed to be that way, guys. Yeah. Um, it's like poetry, it rhymes. Yeah. So, not much more to say about Thor of the Dark World. It's the, one of the lesser Marvel movies. The villain sucked. Oh, God, he was terrible. I think after the Abomination, he is the worst MCU villain. Mm, yeah, yeah, I would say that, too. No, I, I think Although he, I am partial to Tim Roth. Yeah, this, but, yeah. This movie, this movie also, I don't know. It does kind of suffer from actor apathy. I can tell that the people involved are not as invested this as they a, were. This is the last um, movie to have this, Lady Sif. This, this, oh, sorry. This is the what last movie. This is the last movie to have Lady Sif in the MCU. Yeah, that's right. She's completely vanished, and, and I have no idea what happened to her. And in the beginning yeah. of in the beginning of Ragnarok, the Warriors Three go out like bitches. Whatever. Who yeah. cares? Um, and this this uh, Thor Thor uh, Dark World, it does not have good pacing at all. Oh, I it, saw, the, the pacing's horrible. I saw, I I saw all these movies like kind of since the lockdown began, yeah. and um, yeah. I was looking at my clock a lot. I, yeah. was, <laughs> I, was I really don't care like about that. the human characters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting you brought up actor apathy because Natalie Portman initially did not want anything to do with the MCU after the first Thor. So she was contractually <laughs> obligated against her will in her own words to be in the second one. And then she she must have fought them really hard to get out of it because she wasn't in Ragnarok. But yeah, somehow they're that, getting her back. I know, that, um, I know that Natalie Portman was really keen on working with Patty Jenkins, who uh, was originally lined up to work Thor 2. Oh, wow. Uh, so that, that might have had something to do with it. Uh, Patty Jenkins did, of course, get her shot at directing a superhero movie we'll talk about next time. Yeah. But she has a very uh, small filmography. Yeah. Like, other than she made Monster, and then, like, a few years, like, over a decade later, she made Wonder Woman. Yeah. That's kind of, that, that, that surprises yeah. me. Yeah. But, but anyway, so, uh, Thor the Dark World's not very fun to talk about. The next movie is very fun to talk about. Captain America, The Winter Soldier, directed by the Russos. Uh, this, w this was incredible. Like, I remember going to see it in the theater, and the first... 15 minutes felt like I was watching Captain America meets the Born Identity. It's, it's oh, this movie made Captain America for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Because a lot of people made jokes at his expense, like you look stupid in Avengers. And then after like Winter Soldier came out, I didn't hear anyone crack wise about Captain America. Like this movie gave him like a whole lot of respect. Yeah. I I had a really interesting conversation specifically about this movie quite recently oh yeah i was talking i was talking to a friend who um really loves uh kind of uh i don't know what you'd say like he he liked he likes like art films and really kind okay. of like movies that are steeped in like a certain genre so i'm sure we'll get into this later with yeah. his, of course his comments or whatever but he is the kind of last person you might expect to really like a superhero movie oh yeah and, yeah. <laughs> and he was saying, like, I will fully cop to it. Like, I was on Marty's side. I uh, refused to watch superhero movies for years. Like, I, I was a superhero movie, like, hater. And then he's like, this is the movie that made me realize that not all superhero movies are created equal. And he's like, yeah. this movie is fantastic. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of 
what this movie does really well is it sets a really high standard and it like it it totally reinvents another kind of movie it kind of reinvents the sort of like spy sort of yeah. thriller movie and it does it really well well and it, i mean if it can win over someone who is a self-professed superhero hater like it's done its job yeah well my dad yeah. uh all these years my dad is a huge fan of spy thrillers and he loved just like your friend who hates superhero movies my dad thinks uh comic book movies are like popcorn garbage so he'll go to see them but he won't really enjoy himself captain america winter soldier he had a lot to say about and he was thrilled yeah. that they got robert redford uh from three days of the condor uh in this movie yeah and all the president's men yeah 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 and uh so is it kind of interesting how like when a comic book a superhero movie gets made and it doesn't feel like a superhero movie it feels like something else that that's really interesting yeah. uh next on our list is x-men days of future past uh i gotta be honest uh i saw this uh, after a shitty day at my at one of my old jobs so i my experience was kind of tainted and uh mm. yeah it was it, it was it was an okay movie i don't remember it too well i just remember peter dinklage as a villain this is my favorite x-men movie okay hands down i i quite like this movie i i, I love it didn't have didn't have the same relationship with x-men because it wasn't like i watched them from the beginning or anything but yeah. i i thought that this was like just a really fun time travel movie yeah it's um so got cool. a lot of similarities with terminator yeah, yeah. Terminator, yeah. We gotta <laughs> yeah. start Mystique and come with me if you wanna live. So Marvel has they its... combined two uh time different timelines together to make this story. So Marvel has its own its equivalent of Terminator, it has its equivalent of Back to the Future. That's incredible. <laughs> the Quicksilver yeah. scene alone is like amazing. Oh I love that scene. And Even that... if it started a massive cliche of super speed characters just zooming around a a very still environment. And uh with sweet dreams blasting over the scene no that wasn't that was the apocalypse one. Oh right sorry wrong movie time in a bottle time in a bottle was in this one yeah that's yeah. right time yeah, in yeah. A... Uh, this is a fun movie apparently yeah. they didn't do that again in dark phoenix they, right. didn't, they didn't have a quicksilver scene wow it uh, played like a 90s song yeah but Boo. yeah uh yeah, days of future past is awesome uh yeah I, I i should probably revisit it um now the next one is a uh, is a very personal movie uh, to Lyle, but yeah. um, I uh, I'm hooked on the feeling. Gardens of the Galaxy. I saw the trailers and thought, okay, Marvel is taking a too big of a creative liberty. This is going to be horrible. This is going to derail their track record of otherwise highly successfully bankable films and i go to see it and my expectations were exceeded not because like i loved it but i walked i'm like wow i didn't love it but it wasn't terrible like oh i freaking loved it this yeah was, this was the first movie i ever saw like uh, was it three times or four or five times i lost count because i was going through <laughs> a really huge massive uh downturn in my life and this was like the one movie that actually cheered me up yeah significantly um given that like 
I still don't, given that about your life, like where you were, I have no clue how you made it through that opening scene. Because that opening, the opening scene of Guardians of the Galaxy uh, uh, is what sold me on the movie. I should probably give some context. Uh, around early 2014, my mother passed away. So, uh, yeah, after a mm. few months, it was like I, I wasn't smiling. I wasn't focusing on school. I was like miserable every day. And then um, I was, I was yeah. looking forward to Guardians, but I wasn't sure if I would like it that much. Yeah. And then I ended up loving it, and it really, uh, yeah. it, it really had a positive impact on my life after that. So, well, that was the con. That, that that's that's why it's so personal to me. When I was getting to know you, and ever, and when I that the scene, the opening scene where Peter like is terrified of saying goodbye to his mom. Oh, and I, she's, I I really teared up in that scene. Oh yeah, like, but yeah. that that scene is what sold me on the emotional experience of the movie because I'm like, okay, this isn't just a goofy like no fucks given adventure this is serious so i'm like okay i'm i'm sold let's see where this goes it's very and fun as to be honest they as, oh, as soon as he starts dancing a red bone and it's really fun yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it, that that just, that is just what sums up the movie for me it's just fun it's uh unabashedly and unashamedly like weird you it throws together all these characters that the general population never had heard of and just like with such tremendous grace that it made them like really lovable recognizable characters. yeah and this yeah. Pro- this propelled chris pratt to the status of uh a-lister yeah yeah uh, also um people were talking about how this is like one of the funniest movies in years i only laughed really hard at this movie once uh, uh, i laughed a couple times my favorite moment is when groot just goes full ham on this this platoon of guards yeah. and smashes them against a, like a huge hallway. Yeah. And then he just turns after killing them all and just smiles. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you sick son of a bitch. The next Marvel movie uh, on our list, Lyle groaned, so it was a dunge for him. Lyle Groniger here. I I was I was uh somewhat let down but also impressed with this movie, Age of Ultron. Uh, the, the, the sequel to the Avengers three years after like one of the most amazing theater going experiences anyone could ever have they tried to follow it up and they got the same director uh, Joss Whedon back and uh, it feels bogged down by exposition because they had to set up the Infinity Stones they had to establish so many things that went off off screen uh, that we didn't get to see in the gap between the movies. It is very messy. Yeah. Uh, the, the pacing's a little wonky, but it's not, when the movie... It's, it's not unwatchable. When the movie has it's a good moment, it's... it's perfectly a, adequate. When the movie has a good moment, it's a damn good moment. Uh, my favorite scene is the scene where the Hulk goes nuts, like, yeah, way and, more and nuts than usual, and Iron Man has to, has to come in yeah. with the Hulkbuster. That's my favorite scene in the whole movie. I remember when the trailer for this movie came out, I was still on that high of the first Avengers, and yeah, I was really too. excited for this movie to come out, and they released like an early trailer, and I would just like watch that trailer if I ever needed a pick-me-up, and I was kind of just like, um, like really looking forward to this movie for like months, yeah, and yeah. yeah, it's it's not the first movie, it's probably the weakest of the four Avengers films, but it's, so, yeah. uh, like, I do have fun with it. Oh, yeah. And I think that, I think that the kinetic energy of that trailer is exactly why, like, it's, it's like, 
when there's a good scene that hits, like it is a lot of fun. Yeah. I also like Ultron as a villain more than most people do. I think mm-hmm. he's a bit underrated. Well, he's played by an incredible actor, James Spader, so Yeah. Yeah. James yeah. Spader's fun in the role. Yeah. Um but the people were are people were actually complaining like why is he so funny and the art the counter argument I always heard was because Tony Stark created him as an AI so therefore he would have snippets of Tony's sense of humor. That makes sense. Yeah. That that is one thing about this movie that um, watching rewatching it years later it is kind of they throw it everything to the wall yeah. when it comes to the yeah. quips like <laughs> like every scene has like a million jokes crammed into it yeah. and sometimes yeah. you need a bit of breathing room for yeah. a really funny joke to actually work yeah uh yeah. well there the scene where it actually my in my in the hulkbuster scene tony is throwing around quip, quips because the scene where the hulk is just tearing ass through a civilian population is really scary to watch and then Tony kind of calms everything down with uh, cracking a few one-liners here and there. Uh, yeah. Not much more to say about Age of Ultron. It was cannon fodder. Like it's it, it added to the universe. It's, it's a it's a bridge to uh, other bigger events. Yeah. But I was kind of deflated when I left the theater because I thought, wow, we're never going to get that same emotional Avengers feeling ever again. The wow factor will never come back. John yeah. Cena steps in. Are you sure about that? Yeah, we'll get to that later, but... Um, <laughs> the next movie, um, I didn't like on my first viewing, but Lyle loved it. Uh, uh, yeah, I really liked it. And uh, I, let's let Michael, because Michael brought up Paul Rudd. Uh, l- let's let you take this. Uh, Ant-Man. Sure. Ant-Man. And, yeah, Ant-Man is, is fun. Um, Paul Rudd is, is is really good in this movie. He he proven himself as, like... Uh, a leading man and as a supporting actor which would come in very handy handy for a few more entries in this series yeah but uh it's it's like a fun it's again it's another movie that kind of subverts a genre like it's kind of like a heist movie um yeah and it does lean into its weirdness a lot it's another character i'm sure a lot of people have not necessarily heard of yeah it's offbeat for Um, sure but yeah, I, I love the interplay between yeah. uh, Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly. I think it's actually even done better in the sequel. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, the I sequel like I like better. I like the sequel more. The, too, the one I'll, I'll just say this before I forget it. Um, this actually pertains a bit more to Civil War, but um, I was recently rewatching Knocked Up, which uh, was uh, I've 2007. Seen so. Uh, it was like kind of right before Paul Rudd would break out as a leading man in his own right, but he's uh, obviously been hilarious for years prior to that. And there's a whole like weird kind of subplot in the movie Knocked Up about the movie Spider-Man 3. They both came out in the summer of 2007, but yeah. there's like s- several instances where they reference Spider-Man 3 and James Franco's even in the movie <laughs> promoting spider-man 3 yeah and uh there's it's funny hearing paul rudd talk about spider-man and he even explicitly says like i'm gonna go see the new spider-man movie <laughs> and then a decade later he's in movies with spider-man you mean there's an ant-man and <laughs> so, a spider-man yeah <laughs> yeah uh, uh 
Yeah, I, I always thought that was this before we wrap kind up. of funny too. Before we wrap up on Ant-Man, I gotta say, the villain dies in probably the most horrific death in the MCU. I think so too, yeah. He got ripped oh, to yeah. shreds from the inside out when his, when his uh, size manipulator like went haywire. Yeah. And you see him scream as like every part of his body just shifts unnaturally. Yeah. It's, it was like something out of a Cronenberg movie. Yeah, I know. He, Darren Cross yeah. dies a really yeah. uncomfortable death. He's yeah. Yellow Jacket. Yeah, and Cor- I think he he is a good uh, he is a good villain too. Yeah, he's, a good he's all right. He's fun. At this point, like, at, by the way, it's worth mentioning that with the exception of the Avengers movies, uh, the Marvel villains we, are really we bad. Really have to talk about that. Yes, most of the villains they they got better over time, but after Phase Two was pretty uh, bad for that. Oh yeah, well, I liked like I said, I liked Ultron, but the villains were so cookie cutter. Dark well, Elf. Mandarin. Actually, no. Winter Soldier is. Winter the... Soldier's okay. Alexander Pierce, maybe not so much, but he's all right. Yeah, it's serviceable. Um, yeah, and then like Darren Cross, Yellow Jacket. I've heard some native things. Malaketh is the worst. He sucks ass. Yeah. Um, but yeah, moving on from Ant Man. Uh, Ant Man. Uh, it segues directly into uh the movie that proved me wrong about the oh, god damn it. I, I keep getting cut off by another really bad movie. <laughs> I'm going to talk... You saw this one less I than a week ago. I, I had to watch Fan Four Stick as homework <laughs> for this episode. You're yeah. laughing because oh. you, you talked about this in our... You talked about this in our bad movie episode, too. This movie and, is not a movie. Yeah. Okay. This is not Why? a Why? This movie... Okay, like... I don't even know how to describe this. It's unfinished. This, this movie is... This movie... <laughs> as far as comic book movies go, this movie is abnormally short. It is an hour and 40 minutes. It's an overlong first act. It feels like... Yeah. It literally feels like the first act of what could have been a really interesting superhero movie. Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, wh- just like The Hulk, why do, is it so hard to make a movie about the Fantastic Four. Why are they cursed? I don't know. It's it's weird. Well, what's interesting is Josh Trank wanted the director, to yeah. Josh Trank the director wanted to do something different. He wanted it to be like a Winter Soldier. Like he wanted Actually, it to, no, he wanted it to be more like a Cronenberg movie. Well, cuz yeah, but it, he wanted to deviate yeah. from the standard com- routine comic book storyline where it's body horror. Like cuz if you're when I think of uh the body in the original in the first Fantastic Four movie from 2005, the body horror was like there, but it's downplayed by comedy. In this movie, the comedy is non-existent. Oh, this movie's dour. Yeah. Like if you think yeah. Man of Steel is dour, <laughs> Fan Four Stick is fucking dour. Man of Steel has yeah, moments. It is, we'll talk about Man so, of Steel next time, but yeah, yeah, it's just it's just a downer. It's not fun. Sometimes yeah. it tries to be cute, but yeah. most of the time it's just like everyone's a and robot. I've seen villains show up late to a party <laughs> in a movie before. Oh. I have never seen a villain show up ten minutes before credits and then die. Yeah, what the no, hell? Yeah. Can we just agree that they need to stop forcing Doctor Doom into every Fantastic Four movie? 
Well, take I it up with Avi Arad. Oh yeah, Avi Arad. Yeah, we gotta talk about this. The producer, he's he's a Marvel producer. He's done virtually every Marvel movie up until like like from the yeah. '90s all the way till now. And he has yeah. weird requirements for his movies. I'll give you two examples. In in every Spider-Man movie, there has to be Green Goblin either has to be in it or he has to be acknowledged within the story. Like whether it's Green Goblin or Norman Osborn. He has to be mentioned. Okay. I think uh, in the, the MCU they don't care so much, but like if he's not a, he's not attached to he's it, not a producer why, on any of these movies. It's, why, it's mainly Kevin Feige who oversees that. Yeah, everything. yeah, but like it, in like that's why in the Raimi trilogy, uh, Green Goblin shows up in each time. Amazing Spider-Man, he's mentioned, and in the second one he even shows up. And for uh, Fantastic Four, Avi I don't know why he has such a boner for Doctor Doom. But he will not accept. Uh, he will not give out the rights for Fantastic Four or whatever unless Doctor Doom is the principal villain. Why? Or he has to. Have, he has to be like the main threat by the end. Is Doctor Doom even the arch villain of the Fantastic he Four? Is. Oh, so he he's is. like he's like the Joker. He to is the, the main villain, sure. But the problem is, is that there are other avenues. I I want to see Mole Man for Christ's sakes. Oh wow! <laughs> like I just want to see like. And Fantastic Four villains other than Doctor Doom show up and play around. Yeah, uh, I'll tell this story super quickly. Yeah, I told you guys this the other day, but I think listeners might find this funny. Yeah. Um, when Fantastic or whatever the hell you call it came out, uh, this this like prime piece of like advertising real estate on Queen Street in downtown Toronto, which like every week was updated with like whatever new movie was coming out. I would walk by it literally every day. It was almost like kind of a cool thing to like look forward to for some reason i don't know if they stopped paying for the ad space or what the hell happened yeah. fan four stick the like poster just stayed up there as like the last poster to ever occupy this board space wow. and for over a year <laughs> this weird poster of the fan four stick movie that nobody saw and everybody forgot was just like staring me in the face yeah. and it was <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know what was so, but uh, off-putting about that. But it just made me uncomfortable. Well, <laughs> for one thing, the marketing of this movie was an utter disaster for comic book movie well, standards. I the first trailer was somewhat promising. The first trailer makes it look like it's going to be pretty cool because there's action scenes. None of them; th those action scenes all got cut from the final film. By Most the way, them, yeah. that was garbage. Yeah. And but. They promoted it like super, super close to release, which typically when there's a comic book movie in the works, they promote it like six, anywhere from eight to six months to a year beforehand. Uh, trailers will come like months before, but no, this trailer came really late, like in the, in the, in the development. It yeah. came and, and they were convinced that they were going to keep going with that series. Like they had sequels on the release calendar. Not well, anymore. Not they, not yeah. anymore. They don't. <laughs> I love yeah. how when I when I got back from my factory job at like two a.m. I looked at Rotten Tomatoes to see like what the score was because it was coming out that day. I think it was at like a measly eighteen percent or something. Oh And yeah. I started oh. I started guffawing like I was laughing so hard that I woke up my dad. He's like, "Lyle, go to bed." I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> it's just like I... my my worst fears came true. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah. Oh, I just have one, one last thing. Yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah, I know you're desperate to move on from it, and we've on. spent far too much time talking about this movie. But yeah. um, 
I was talking about how somebody like Matthew Vaughn made like a really cool, fun, original movie in Kick-Ass and was given the opportunity to do something cool like an X-Men movie. Yeah. Uh, I'd be remiss to m- not mention the fact that Josh Trank, his debut movie was Chronicle. Yeah. Was set in like, in like uh, it's like an original superhero movie uh, made as a found footage movie. And that movie's, uh, I don't know if you'll pardon the pun. I think that movie's fantastic. Yeah, um, I love Chronicle. Yeah, I, I, I still need to I was, see like, Chronicle. Intrigued. I was intrigued by the idea of Josh Trank being given more money to do another thing, right? At a yeah. at a certain point, they were even grooming him to make a Star Wars movie. Yeah, which is crazy now. But do you know um, which? Do you know which Star Wars movie he was gonna make? I think it was gonna be Rogue One, wasn't it? Nope. Uh, it was gonna be the Boba Fett spinoff, which got canceled after Solo bombed. Thanks, uh, Toxic fans. Whatever. We yeah, but anyways, I was like, like, what, what somebody like Matthew Vaughn did to kind of propel their career, Josh Trank squandered yeah. all goodwill with this movie, yeah. and I know it wasn't entirely his fault because there was some ma- obvious studio interference, but it's kind of just like, yeah. it kind of just bummed me out that that his career just ended that well, way. Well, <laughs> they cut his, they cut like his budget by a full third, like. A day, a couple days before the shooting began. I also heard there was some unprofessionalism on his part on the set. Well, the rumors but that are all might over the just place. Be rumors, like maybe like Fox was trying to like cover their tracks and make him look like the bad guy. You, you also, don't, I don't know. You also have to remember, uh, Miles Teller has a bit of a reputation for being a diva sometimes. So, uh, at least that's what I've heard. What a, what a... Yeah. So there's not much more to say. Uh, can we just yeah move on? Yeah, Let's please. Move on. <laughs> Pretty please. With a yeah. Cherry on top. Oh my god. Also, the thing has no dick. Yeah, fucking uh, Brody Bruce would be having a field day if he saw a fan four stick. <laughs> Speaking of dicks, next up is 2016's Deadpool. Deadpool uh, <laughs> is another game changer in this genre because thanks to this motherfucker, uh, comic book movies can be rated R now, and they can Sexy be as. Motherfucker. And they can be as gory and as intestine-spilling-driven yeah. uh, as they want. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's glorious. Uh, I gotta be honest, yeah. uh, the, the story of how this got made, you owe it to Ryan Reynolds, because Ryan Reynolds paid the screenwriters out of his own pocket when the studio refused to pay them for overtime on the set. Uh, he worked very closely to make sure that they wrote a story that was as in keeping with the character as possible. Um, Deadpool's also Deadpool and Wolverine are also Canadian superheroes. Uh, we completely forgot to mention this. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think it's well known. And they uh, filmed they filmed the bulk of this in Vancouver too. Nice. So Yeah, Ryan right Reynolds is hometown. Yeah, and uh, yeah, no, Deadpool it I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna be honest. The plot is generic as hell, but, yeah, but the that's, fu- not the, that's not the selling point. The but, selling point is yeah, Deadpool's no, antics. like the first Iron Man movie is a generic yeah, plot. Going to Deadpool, De- going to Deadpool, his character and his personality and his jokes and the way that, and the style of directing makes the movie. It's 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 I, well done. I remember when I saw this in uh, twenty sixteen. Yeah, uh, it was it was over. Uh, a long weekend, uh, family day weekend or whatever. Oh yeah, that's right. And it, it was, considering Deadpool was maybe not a household name to the extent that like Spider-Man is, yeah. 
the theaters again at Scotiabank uh, was so busy and there were so many show shows sold out for it that I was like before I even saw the movie I just had this kind of sense of like ah oh, this is really cool that he's finally getting his due yeah <laughs> and yeah uh, I watched the uh, the promo trailer like kind of like the it was almost like a demo reel yeah of of him like fighting the guys in the car on the highway. And I watched that. Yeah. Scene. I watched that. I've like, never seen that. I, I must have seen that clip like twenty times because yeah. I was like in love with it. I'm like, they got it right. Um, I was working at HMV at the time this movie was like on its way, and uh, my coworker, one of my coworkers, who wow, you've met. Uh, he's a cool guy. He is the biggest Deadpool fan I know. He saw this on opening day. I think he even cosplayed like to the theater. He was that committed. He loved it. He went back for multiple viewings. He was so thrilled. And to give you some context, he's also a ginormous Star Wars fan. He saw The Force Awakens, uh, and he came back saying, it was good. I mean, I liked it. He said he, he enjoyed it. But there, when he came back from Deadpool, there was an excitement in his voice and in his eyes that I had never seen before. Yeah, he was ecstatic. Let, nice. that deadpool was done justice and he went to, he went back to multiple viewings um so now uh i was building up to this but uh captain america civil war uh this renewed my faith in the mcu because after age of ultron and after the fact that i didn't really care for ant-man i thought the mcu was going to be dead and just mediocre from this point forward so I went into this movie with very low expectations. I was blown out of the water. Like, what they mm. do with these characters is so, so clever. Like, uh, Lyle will talk about, like, his emotional experience with it. But for me, just understanding that this movie this movie does have a, a an antagonist that starts the whole conflict. But... He's very underrated. Yeah, Zemo. Like, Zemo is underrated, but yeah. But yeah. You can see this movie from both perspectives. Like, it's meant... The way it was marketed... There were... By the way, 2016 was the year that movies had this, like, dramatic rivalry face-off on the posters. Because Angry Birds did this. Neighbors 2... <laughs> Neighbors 2, Sorority Rising did this in their poster. Captain America Civil War did this. And Batman vs. Superman did this. So, um, yeah... The marketing for this... That was a marketing cliche of 2016. And I think... I, I think that was deliberate because 2016 was an election year. And t there are a lot of movies in election years that are all about, you know, divide and clashing ideas. So... And that's intentional on Hollywood's part. It's been that way throughout the years. But back, back to Civil War. The two sides of this move of this story are so nuanced that you can actually sympathize with both of them at times. Like, ultimately, I when I walked out of the theater, I found myself siding mostly with Iron Man, mainly because I'm biased because I like Iron Man more as a character. But at, now that I watched it a bunch of more times, I'm on, I agree with Cap a lot more and more. Even though he's outside the law, what he's doing is actually, like, better in the long run. And the future MCU films really show that. Um, uh, fun fact, uh, also, this... Uh, it was the introduction to Black Panther and Tom Holland's Spider-Man, both of which would yeah. go on to be iconic uh, characters in later MCU films. Yeah, and this is such a good ensemble movie, uh, similar similar to what they did in the first Avengers movie, but like with even more characters. I feel like everyone gets their 
do really well. And yeah. there's so many arcs to integrate into this movie, and all of them are pulled up really well. Yeah. And I have to say, like, um, seeing this for the first time again at Scotiabank Theater in IMAX, uh, the 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 title card, the location title cards in this movie are massive. Yeah, <laughs> it was an interesting yeah. creative choice to take up the whole screen. The moment I saw the word Queens, and I knew like what was about to happen, was crazy exciting. And yeah, it was such a good way to introduce that character. Yeah, my theater cheered. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speak. You brought up Scotiabank a few times. Did they know you down there by now? <laughs> um, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they have a pretty. They have a pretty big, uh, like staff. Yeah. Um, and there's so many kind of events that happen down there that I, oh, I yeah. find it's like, I find it's like the spot to go to, but you don't necessarily run into the same people. Oh, for um, sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyways, uh, uh, I should probably share my thoughts. Yeah. What, what, how do you feel about civil uh, war? Cause it, it kind of, kind of, we fawned over it. Let me say, let me say, yeah. um, it's kind of a pain in the ass for me to see it because it's like, you guys are being all up in your own grills. You're fighting each other. You're bashing heads. Ultimately, none of it matters because a big purple man's gonna come out of space, fuck up the world, and it's because of you dipshits that it happened. <laughs> so if you just pulled up your pants for two seconds, you would have been able to fight Thanos at correctly. But yeah. oh no, you had to have a spat over some stupid law that occurred. I didn't like the law, the Sokovia Accords, because I didn't like that. It's basically like, oh, you guys caused so much damage across the world that yeah you gotta be like monitored you haven't been monitored this whole time I'm like what about shield moron and then all of a sudden it's like um yeah yeah of course there's collateral damage everything has collateral damage and even if we had these fucking accords you're gonna have collateral damage so yeah. what's the fucking point I was on Cap's side every single time I watched this movie I don't think I ever sided with Iron Man once no nah. But anyways, those are my thoughts on Civil War. Well, yeah, uh, it was cool seeing Spider-Man. Like I liked when he leaped onto the the field and he's like, "Hey, everyone!" <laughs> that Empire Strikes Back reference. Yeah. Uh, I was howling when he said that because like my favorite superhero just referenced one of my favorite Star Wars movies. This is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Like the biggest <laughs> like geek, the biggest like geek moment like for me in a theater was probably yeah. that. Uh, but yeah, the wow factor that I thought I would never see again with the Avengers came back in this film, and that was super special. Uh, moving yeah. on, the next one is kind of a dud. X-Men Apocalypse. Um, uh, Lyle and I... Uh, Lyle, and I Lyle and I saw X-Men Apocalypse with a friend of ours who is a huge X-Men fan. And he was cheering, like, in the theater, remember? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um... Man, for a movie called X Men Apocalypse, Apocalypse is the most generic shit ever. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. interesting about him. It's like everything they built from a fall and from the ashes of that world will build a better one. That's all I remember him. That's the only line I remember him saying. Yeah. And then yeah. there was that. He was, he was played by Rami Malik, wasn't he? Nope. Uh, Oscar Isaac. Fuck. Yeah. One or the other, yeah, yeah. totally yeah. different. There's guys. there's a joke in this movie that falls flat because um, I don't know if you remember this. I I barely remember this movie, but I remember there's a joke in this movie where because it takes place in the 1980s, 
they go see Return of the Jedi, yeah. and then oh, yeah. they make this joke like, "Oh, the third one is never the best movie." Ha ha ha. Um, it's this little wink. <laughs> but within the context of what they're doing, that joke makes zero sense because, like, that wasn't like in the '80s. That was not like a common thing to know or say because <laughs> yeah. they weren't capitalizing on every trilogy back then. Yeah. So it's yeah. like it's just kind of a it just kind of uh to me that just sort of that's cements an, everything nice wrong of... with that movie it yeah. takes place in the 80s but doesn't do a lot with the idea yeah. and it's it's after the success of um days of future past it's just a really disappointing third end it is that. pretty flat overall yeah. but i did appreciate what they did with the younger x-men yeah for the most part they do all of them with a good care of just they do they do it with some justice and the kid who would later star in Ready Player One what plays your boy. Yeah, Ty Sheridan's an excellent Sheridan, Cyclops, yeah. actually. Yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't right. have seen more of him. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just geeking out on Cyclops <laughs> today. Yeah, I know. This, uh... Oh, yeah, Olivia, there was also Olivia a Munn was in this. There was also a mark. There was also a marketing disaster because you see, uh... A a Apocalypse strangling, uh... uh Mystique. Mystique. And people were oh, like, right. that's misogyny, and... The rebuttal was like, he's trying to appear as threatening, and it's like, well... And Besneak is powerful, dude. Like, she can fight back. She's a superhero. Actually, she's an yeah. anti-hero, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You could, I, Mystique I is, uh, or maybe we'll save this for... I can't, I can't say <laughs> if I really like Jane, Jennifer Lawrence's Mystique or not. Yeah. It kind of depends. Uh, I was just going to say, I don't think... Yeah, I may as well just say it now before I forget. I don't think Jennifer Lawrence beyond the first iteration the, the first time she played that character she clearly loses interest in being oh, she a part gets of that worse and worse in you can just see it <laughs> yeah. well in apocalypse she's hardly blue yeah in most yeah. scenes she's just regular jennifer lawrence yeah and i don't know why she's such a prominent member of the x-men when she's more of a brotherhood member yeah like she's far more villainous in the comics but they make her out to be like an activist and a hero yeah. and i don't get that I think, it was, I think it was all because she was so popular back then, yeah. and they had to have her. Uh, yeah, they got her at the right time, but it was clear that she did not know what she was signing up for. Yeah. <laughs> Pay attention to the yeah. contracts, people. Yeah, you like makeup? Uh, you want to sit in a chair for seven hours? Uh, hold on to your butts. Okay. Uh, so, Shall we move on? 2016 wrapped itself up with Doctor Strange. Uh, this was fun to see in the theater. The visual elements are impressive. It takes the, it takes the visual, like, aesthetic of the movie Inception and, like, yeah. multiplies it by ten. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Stephen Strange himself is a bit of an interest of, a, of, a, of an okay character. Uh, he's played by one of the biggest Brits working in the industry, and he does a, a convincing American accent. I am so glad his accent is better than whatever the hell that was in Black Mass. Uh, oh my god <laughs> that boston accent michael you know what i'm talking about right yeah yeah yep. uh, um there's this really i'll just i'll just say two quick things about this movie but uh there's this really funny clip that i don't know why but it only kind of surfaced like recently and it's when they were filming doctor strange in new york city benedict cumberbatch like walks into this comic book store like in full costume oh wow and like and like talks to the guys 
and it's really funny and kind of cute. That's hilarious. Um, the other funny, uh, like I, I do really enjoy this movie. I think it's, 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 it's visual power is everything going for it. Like I, I think the visuals are really fun in this movie. So it's kind of hilarious and ironic was for some reason, I don't know why I don't remember why I don't think I've ever seen this with any other movie. Certainly not like a huge release of a Marvel caliber about a month before this movie came out, they showed like a 10 minute preview again at Scotiabank theater. And I think it was free. I think they just want to like pack the house for some reason, but I got a pass to see 10 minutes of Dr. Strange and those 10 minutes like sold me. Like I was, I was going to go back and see it regardless, but uh, they show this like really trippy sequence from when he's like kind of discovering his powers for the first time. Oh yeah. And I was like, this is, this is really cool. Like I'm really excited for this movie. I, again, I don't know why they did this. I don't remember what it was for, but then like two solid months passed before I myself saw the movie and everyone else was talking about it. And then, <laughs> and then I was like, I went back and I had fun. I think that movie is is meant to be seen on the biggest screen you can, um, and it it's the it introduces like literal magic into the mix of the MCU. Yes. Where, where the in the past, the magic or powers had always kind of been grounded or had a basis in science, but it, it's a pretty it's a pretty fun like. It also, movie. <laughs> I like how, I like the fact that it explores spirituality and like chakras yeah. and energy fragments because like my mom kind of raised me on that stuff so it, it's cool right. to see like when you've been when you grow up around that uh, and it's cool to see but yeah no um other than that like the story's kind of generic it's an origin story it taps into the idea that there is a multiverse but they don't do a whole lot with that yet they will they will uh, yeah. Moving on, uh, fun movie, entertaining, uh, a little bland. A little bland. It's entertaining. Uh, Logan. Oh, we're moving yeah. into 2017. Uh, now it seems that like uh, Marvel can uh, a, a movie can come in the early months of the year and still like make a shit ton of money. This is the second year, mm -hmm. you know, the second of what will be three, four years in a row where this happens. Uh, uh, in 2016, Deadpool came out in February and made unheard of money for not just an R-rated movie, but for like a February release movie. The only other movie yeah. before Deadpool that made that much money in February was uh, uh, those Fifty Shade movies. Oh boy! Yeah, because you know the you gotta have a date ideas for Valentine's Day, you know. But anyway, so Logan came out, I believe, uh, in March, which is like a dead time for like studios. But yeah, the theater we were in, Lyle, was moderately full. Um, I remember it being a very powerful uh, story, and I remember the ending feeling like the ending of Toy Story three. Like that's how much it got to me emotionally. Like, and I and I'm not like even like emotionally that drawn to the X Men, but I felt something at the end of this movie. And that I think is an accomplishment in itself. A perfect send off yeah. is is all you can. Uh, Logan, yeah, Logan is uh, again a kind of an instance that not all superhero movies are the same. I think that's a very dismissive thing that's often said about the genre, but um 
Logan is a bleak movie, and it is a it's a it hits hard the drama. I feel, yeah. and I feel like it's done exceptionally well. James Mangold had like a really good track record prior to this. Okay. Um, I think Girl Interrupted is a fantastic movie. And um, yeah, that's a good one. And uh, next on the list is, I think, my personal favorite of this year, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Um, oh, yeah. I th- <laughs> People complained about it, uh, like some critics that I look up to, uh, on online critics I look up to, uh, really ripped this movie a new one. I thought it was better than the first. Like I, The first movie made me, only made me laugh once. I was laughing all the way like every five or ten minutes while watching this movie it's the humor just works for me yeah i I think this i think this movie works um the themes of fatherhood are really well done in this movie yeah um there's a sort of twist involving the father character i won't say if you've been living under a rock and never saw this movie (laughs) yeah um the the sort of like things that come to light towards the end of this movie and uh coupled with the soundtrack of uh that cat stevens song yes. about fatherhood um that's a really emotional punch oh um, yeah <laughs> i thought that the cli- not the climax but the sort of emotional resolution of guardians of the galaxy 2 is like some of the best things i've seen in a marvel movie yeah like, i loved that last act oh yeah uh yeah one of the things that okay at this point in at this point uh i had seen the trailer for thor ragnarok and i heard that thor ragnarok was going to be the darkest of the thor films and the funniest of the of the four thor films at the same time so i was skeptical like how as to how they were going to juggle those two tones but after i saw guardians 2 juggle the two tones really really well like of just really funny and really dark i'm like okay Thor Ragnarok might not be so bad after all. But yeah, moving yeah. great movie. Uh moving on, uh Spider-Man Homecoming I believe is next. Yeah. Uh, this is the first solo Spider-Man movie and just uh in the MCU and just like the director of uh, uh the director of the director of Wonder Woman, uh the John Watts who directed Spider-Man Homecoming has very little to his name like before an MCU movie. So I thought that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. There are a lot of homo- it's very different from every other Spider-Man movie you'll ever see it's because he's like the pipsqueak of the Avengers. He's not this larger than life <laughs> entity in his own movie anymore. He is this kid who wants to roll with the big boys and yeah. I think there's an adorable element to that. Um, there's also the wonkiest references to John Hughes of all filmmakers and of all cinematic storytellers in this movie. At first, I didn't get why John Hughes, but then once you watch it a couple more times and you understand the kind of work that John Hughes did. It's a high school movie. Yeah. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's essence. Yeah. Uh, the villain is when the this is when the villains in marvel were getting really good vulture yeah. is amazing great. michael keaton oh my yeah God. yeah i love michael keaton i'm gonna talk about this for sure well, more we'll when DC. Tomorrow, yeah. but um he's an actor i've always looked up to and admired and he was kind of relatively riding high on like a sort of recentish sort of comeback due to the success of birdman oh yes and keaton fucking kills it 
in this movie. Like yeah. he is such a good villain yeah. and he is just such a delight for me to watch always that I, every time he was on screen, I had a huge smile on my face. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see more of him later. Yeah. And then, uh, Marvel's, uh, Marvel closed out 2017 with, uh, Thor Ragnarok. This was helmed by a legendary filmmaker. Uh, I need to see more of his work. Taika Waititi helmed this movie. Yep. And at, yeah. at yep. this point, I didn't even care that all the Thor movies had different tones because of their director, different directors. But the, whatever they did to reboot Thor's tone, it worked really well. And uh, Hela, yeah. the goddess of death, is an excellent villain. They incorporate the Hulk really well. Um, yeah. The way the Dark World kind of ended kind of sets you up like, it's take back Asgard from Loki because it sets up that Loki was like, he was going to yeah. fuck shit up. Yeah. But then ultimately it didn't matter. This movie feels like a reset. Yeah. Like everything that people really didn't give a crap about in Thor or Thor two, they kind of just throw under the rug yeah. and do their own thing, which I kind of admire because I didn't like the Thor movies yeah. up until this point, but they really did like a, a really good remodeling. Yeah. Some people complain that it's not a worthy, like, adaption of thor i'm talking about worthy and he has to yeah, be worthy yeah, to wield yeah, his hammer yeah, yeah i get it but yeah like um, taika watiti the the director is also the funniest character in the movie he uh, plays Korg, Korg, yeah um the pile of rocks and he's got some lines in this movie and in his reappearance in endgame that like are so funny. I just think yeah. about them all the time. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But no, like, you know what? When I first saw Ragnarok, it's like, man, I totally ship Hello with Thanos. Yeah. Because remember in Avengers, he's like, to challenge him is to court death. I'm like, well, Hella is death. Are they going to hook up or something? I'd, yeah. I'm down. <laughs> yeah. But no, doesn't happen that way. Because yeah. she gets destroyed by Mr. Krabs. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Clancy Brown voices uh, Surtur. Yeah. The guy who destroys uh, ra uh, destroys Asgard by the prophecy. Oops, I spoiled the movie. Sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, uh, years ago, guys. Get with the program. Okay. Uh, so, the next movie... So, while that kind of, you know, got people excited for what was to come, because the movie uh, ends where... Ragnarok ends where the next Avengers movie would begin. But before that, we have to talk about, oh, this is going to hurt, uh, rest in power, King T'Challa, Chadwick Boseman, man. Take, mm. Taken way too soon. Long live the king. I swear to God. Yeah. Uh, do you know, this is actually the fourth time in movie history where we've lost a lead actor who played a superhero. People in comic movies have died uh, all the time, but never where it was like the guy playing a main superhero. Uh, the first two were Superman actors, George Reeves and Christopher Reeve. Both of them died relatively young. Adam West yeah. died after... Adam West had a good run, though. He lived a long, fulfilled life. He got old. What about what about Brandon yeah. Lee? From The Crow? Yeah, that's a superhero. Oh, yeah. Five, yeah. sorry. I, how the hell do I forget that? I thought that, too. I thought that was one of the ones you were gonna say. Yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> consider <laughs> too. consider tragic, that tragic consider that the fifth one. Then so there's uh, George Reeves, Christopher Reeves, uh, Brandon Lee, Adam West, and Chadwick Boseman. He's the first um, person, aside from maybe Stan Lee, to die in the MCU. That's he's the first actor. 
I'm a mainstream yeah. wow. like, uh, yeah. headlining Marvel movie. Yeah, but so so the case in point, Black Panther. Black Panther. Black Panther made cinematic history culturally and like with its box office money. It uh it it basically was a staple for the black community. They were going to the theaters in like African garbs, like uh, in the in the, like tribal ceremonial outfits. The hype was crazy. Now, Michael, I yeah. want you to tell your story of like what the reaction in the theater was like because I noticed this too. And I, Lyle, and I saw this in Richmond Hills, so I don't know if the reaction was the same as yours. What was it like yeah. watching this in the theater compared to other comic book movies? Because it was unlike any other comic book movie theater going experience. Yeah, um, I do have I do have a. a a story about Black Panther that links a bit more directly to Infinity War. I can tell that in like a second. Yeah, no, well, Infinity we... War is coming up next, so yeah. Yeah, so uh, I will get to that. But yeah, I'm, I remember the... Uh, I don't remember where I did see this. I know that I saw this in a really big theater and that it, like every seat was full. And I feel like I maybe even saw it in the daytime or something, which was really saying something. Yeah. Um, that it was that busy and that sold out then. But I do remember the excitement, uh, the anticipation of seeing this movie. Like the place was a buzz and you could tell that like something was shifting, that like Black Panther was about to become this huge cultural phenomenon. Um, and it was, yeah, it was really exciting and really cool yeah. to kind of feel that. Uh, I'll, I'll get to my next point yeah. with our next movie. Well, I, <laughs> I didn't... Uh... At first, I thought, you know, it's okay. It's a, gen it's, it's kind of a routine like Marvel story. But then I, I actually went to watch it a second time by myself, um, and uh, I was actually in a very rough financial spot at the time I saw this movie. So, um, in yeah. a way, like it kind of gave me a lot of hope uh, just for the future. Oh. So this is a, this is. A oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, so, so so in my the second time I saw it, like, cause I took a screen, I, I took a screenwriting like phone seminar on this movie because uh, I uh, subscribed to this website called Screenwriting yeah. ScreenwritingU.com or ScreenwritersU.com, and they have a bunch yeah. of like really reasonably priced uh, writing courses. And uh, I just remember they held a seminar talking about Black Panther, and they never did this for any other Marvel movie. Like, I had only discovered them, like, a year before, but they didn't really talk about comic book movie scripts. Black Panther warranted their attention because of its financial successful, and just for how brilliant, like, as a story it was. So... I did the seminar that praised Black Panther up the wall. Then I went back to see it a second time, and I understood like the real brilliance, like in multi multiple layers of this movie. Like, cause yeah, if you think about like how it relates to like uh, black equality and like where blacks like fit in the world, um, it yeah. kind of uh, think about this. You have like T'Challa, who is like the Martin Luther King of this story and then you have killmonger who's like the malcolm x like we're going to be aggressive we're going to force change through violence we're going to scare the world into following us and then yeah. and if you really think about it um i don't want to get political at all but people were like talking that there was a political argument over this movie whatever but if you think about it the way t'challa runs uh yeah the way t'challa runs the country 
is like very conservative and the way Killmonger wants to change it is super super to the left of like anything so um just when you think about that like it's it's yeah. really interesting to go through but yeah so Black Panther yeah uh we're gonna be here all night because we still got some more to do um the next movie I just I just had one quick little cool thing to say about the Black Panther before What's we up? move on um the, the MCU at this point had been around for 10 years, so it had definitely enough influence that it was now influencing the next generation. Yeah. What's totally fascinating about this is I've heard reports that Ryan Coogler, who's a relatively young guy, it's only his third movie. Um, Fruitvale Station is great. Uh, Creed is really, really good. And then he gets the chance to go to that next level with Black Panther. But I've heard that he was like a big fan of the original Iron Man movie and that he saw it like opening day and stuff. Oh wow. So to sort of think that he would, you know, like then direct the net the the biggest Marvel movie yet is pretty fantastic. Oh, and then I also cool. heard a similar story about how Winston Duke, um, Mbaku and Lapita Nyongo Nakia, they um went to school together. Oh wow and apparently apparently they had seen the first Avengers movie together as well. And it was another thing of like, like, I, I don't know if yeah. it was something that put them on that path, but like, apparently they shared that moment of like, how cool would it be to be in a superhero movie? Oh, that's, and then they got to pull it off. That's yeah. really, <laughs> that's really special. Cool. That's great. Yeah. Um, and speaking of the Avengers, um, what I like to call one of the most successful marketing and business decisions ever made in the history of films and the history of marketing in general avengers infinity war the hype for this was established as soon as the second avengers and the first avengers movie ended because you knew yeah. thanos, you knew thanos was the big baddie you knew he was gonna come you knew that this the infinity stones were playing a part in the background but it yep. all comes to fruition here uh this movie is a masterpiece it juggles all these characters that have been built up for now at this point 10 years it yep. they juggle them so well everything the pacing is perfect the uh the whole i the whole concept is just a, a, a thrill ride now i'm gonna i'm not gonna lie going into the theater to see this the first time was super stressful because this is the time when they the producers came out and said this is gonna be a bloodbath characters are gonna die and they're not gonna come back so i'm like uh right yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i mean they they told they kind of oversold and, that but yeah. and um the ensemble is there's so many marvel characters that are established through so yeah. many franchises at this point yeah. everyone gets a good amount of screen time but it's pretty interesting because uh like thanos is arguably the main character so it's like I've heard this that weird thing where the villain is like the spotlight and the good guys are sort of the ensemble supporting cast which is yeah. pretty unique way to tell that story yeah um yeah it, what's but yeah i just remember like you know being in the theater being super stressed like going through the motions and then as soon as the movie was over for all two of you i think who don't know what happens i'm not going to talk about what happens because like i'm just yeah. going to talk about what it was like to react to there i sat as the as the last two minute as the last minute of this movie was going on i sat there in a perpetual state of denial like i did not want to acknowledge what had just happened and then the credits yeah. rolled 
<laughs> it, the credits roll, then it just hits you like a bag of bricks. Yeah. Yeah. So the the one thing I wanted to say about this movie was this movie came out. Uh, I mean the the MCU completely radicalized the concept of a sequel because they were now releasing three four movies a year. Yeah. But um, this movie came out like eight ten weeks after Black Panther, like really close yeah. after, like two months after it, and uh, the scene where they establish that they're going to go to Wakanda to visit him and they yeah. start playing the Wakanda theme, which had like really only just been established months prior. Yeah. Um, there were chills in the theater yeah. and people started like cheering and screaming. And like, I loved the Black Panther movie, uh, his solo film, but it was like in that moment where I kind of understood that his impact was going to kind of last forever yeah and <laughs> i'm choking myself up now just yeah. talking about that knowing what we know now but um like the fact that people are so excited to see black panther again so soon like was really something special yeah uh yeah, yeah lyle what was it like just uh for you like you know just being in the theater it was insane sure was yeah <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, it sure was. It was great. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways, Deadpool two. <laughs> Deadpool two uh, is underwhelming. There's not much. To... Didn't like it. Yeah. There's not much to say. Dead, yeah. Just Deadpool two. Yeah, I agree. That's it's underwhelming. Uh, I didn't feel very much when I was like done with the movie. But what's interesting about this movie... I'm sorry that I, I cut you off. I'm sure you had more... Oh, no, it's fine. Go ahead. What, what's, in, what's interesting about this movie is they tried to ram it down our throats three times within the course of a year. Because yeah. I don't know if you remember this, but when it came out on home release, there was another cut of the movie that they released. Oh, yeah. I thought that was and overdoing then, it. Like, quite and then not, not even six months after that they re-released it at christmas yeah. and it was another cut so in less than a year there were three cuts of this movie floating around yeah. and they had kind of subbed out jokes and they had kind of made different decisions in the edit and stuff like that and i liked it but i didn't love it and i feel yeah. like that's all i can really say about that <laughs> fair enough yeah, I don't. I don't remember like anything about it. Quite honestly, they missed the golden opportunity to have Cable interact with his father, who was actually Cyclops. It would have been fucking hilarious if like a fifty-year-old like Josh Brolin or whatever had to like interact with like a, a really young Ty Sheridan. Yeah, that would have <laughs> been, been gold. And like Deadpool would eat popcorn while watching them interact. Yeah, it's like this is so funny. I, 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 um, and that would have been... They even had Ty Sheridan in one shot, and I'm like, you fucking bastard. They even, like, had a subplot going on with the whole X-Force, too, so... Oh, yeah, that went... Nowhere. Yeah, yeah. And they even had, like, a, an X-Force song in the credits. I'm like, this is... This is pathetic. Yeah. It, it took forever for that movie to end, yeah. too. Jeez. Uh, anyway. moving on. Yeah, Ant-Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp. It's, it's good. 
Great. It's a lot of fun. It, um, I like it more than the first one, actually. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, That's I agree. Hard. It's a it's a very worthy sequel, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, nice. I know some most people kind of wrote it off as like a whatever kind of experience, but I I, I think they they were selling it short because whenever you watched it, I actually thought, you know what, this is actually a way better pace than the first one. Ever like everyone has like something to do. The villain is even kind of, like, different because it's, oh, yeah. she's not, like, trying to take over the world. She's not trying to destroy a city. She's just kind of trying to survive because she yeah. has this horrible, like, affliction. Yeah, that only, yeah. Like, only Hank Pym's technology can cure. So she's in a desperate struggle to, like, get that technology before he does. Yeah. And that was good. Yeah. Then, uh, it was, yeah, it was uh, good to see, uh, it was good to see Michelle Pfeiffer. I... I always liked her for reasons we'll get into in the DC episode. <laughs> they, they, um, uh, the the sort of body switch joke where Paul Rudd is like kind oh, of impersonating God. her as the mom. That was that was great. The yeah. funniest scene in the movie is when Lewis, um, uh, Scott Lang's friend is like given truth serum. And he has, and, oh God! And knowing Lewis, he goes on an incredibly long tangent. Over a story that just just does just goes yeah. on so many different narrative ropes, yeah. and it's like, oh no, you unleash the yeah. beast. There is a we're meme. Gonna, there be here for years. There is a meme going around saying that you know, Luis Luis from Ant Man needs to narrate the events of 2020. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I have seen that meme, yeah, and I Michael think, Pena yeah, I, I, I can't believe I didn't even touch on that yet. Yeah, like Michael Pena, Michael Pena, Michael uh, Pena, these movies. He, he's so funny. Yeah. He's great. Um, uh, unfortunately, the next movie I want to talk about is a really low note. Uh, 2018 ended on a garbage fest called Venom. Oh. <laughs> Lyle, you want to lead this one? Because you actually watched this for homework for this episode. I, had to I watch watched it today for the first time. And? I kind of like it. <laughs> oh, that's... I kind of... I, I like it for all the wrong reasons. Uh, um, do like, like um, the, the plot Sorry, is, the plot is not great it's generic as fuck it's kind of like all over the place tonally like it wants to be funny but it also wants to be a horror film it's directed by the same guy who made Zombieland so you think he'd be better at balancing uh, horror yeah. and like comedy nothing happens for like the first hour and it's really boring but like Tom yeah. Hardy he like he, he sounds like an angry duck throughout the entire movie <laughs> Like, that's how he talks. He's like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> he, he has, My like, biggest, three different accents. Yeah, sorry. And then, like, Venom. Venom himself is kind of interesting, because, like, it, you know, like, the one thing I didn't like about Venom in Spider-Man 3 is that he was almost like a Hulk-like creature who just screamed and yelled at things and was nearly indestructible. And in this, it's like he has a bit of a relationship with Eddie Brock, which is kind of neat. And I'm not saying it's brilliant, but, like, mm -hmm. it's fun watching him, like, fun, fun watching Tom Hardy, like, sometimes lose complete control of his body, and Venom has to kind of pull the strings sometimes, because he doesn't want his host to die. A, a friend of mine, um, basically summed up in one hilarious quip what was wrong with this movie for me. What's that? Uh, he was like, Venom is the best superhero movie in the year 2003 
Patrick Williams. <laughs> yeah, I remember he He's like, that. if it had been made 15 years prior, it would have been so good. But it just really did not lend itself well to the current superhero era. Yeah. And I can't one thing that, that really bothered me about this movie was the whole marketing campaign was intended to kind of subvert the expectations of what we now know as superhero movies like the the tagline of the movie was literally like there are too many superheroes or or something like that yeah and and it doesn't like it doesn't do that like it is a pretty generic superhero movie and he's not really an anti-hero because there's another villain established in the yeah, movie there's like so many of them there's like, it's e- like he's like evil <laughs> or venom it's so weird yeah it's, all, it's like or whatever it's like i don't know why it built itself on this promise that it was going to be so different when it is in fact as lyle said a pretty generic movie mm. yeah but i don't know it has moments that i like but overall i don't think it's like anything to write home about no. although the yeah. sequel looks promising it's looking like they might get uh, a certain friendly neighborhood spider-man in there I hope that happens. <laughs> as quite well honestly, as a certain uh, member of the Daily Bugle. I honestly, I don't. I hope and that Louis happens. And Harrelson's in it, so I mean, come on. The door's wide open. Walk I, through. I, I will watch the second one. I don't know. Like, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll have a laugh at it. But okay. anyways, what's next? Captain what? Marvel. Ooh. For the fourth year in a row. Mar- some Marvel property comes out in the dead of winter months in the first part of the year and makes a gazillion dollars. Uh, this movie came out International Women's Day 2019, and uh, I thought it was average. Yeah. Like I'm, I mean, I feel like you can't just like with sort of like with Black Panther. I feel like if you have any criticisms with the movie, you can't really you don't really feel comfortable saying it without like you know going. Uh, like, kind of like a walk on an eggshell experience. Yes, sometimes. but honestly, this remember how Michael, you said that you remember how uh, Days of Future Past, uh, which X Men movie like was set in the eighties and did nothing with the time period? Apocalypse. X Men yeah. Apocalypse set in the eighties. Yeah. Uh, Twenty minutes. Captain Marvel uh, is set in the nineties and it does very little like with uh, the era. I'm and the soundtrack while it's good and one song was used perfectly in its respective scene the soundtrack was nowhere near as iconic to the tone and and the pacing character. of the film as guardians was yeah it was and just, just kind of like a greatest hits album yeah but the one song they used well was used perfectly Which one was that? uh that was come as you are by nirvana and uh, it's the scene where she meets the the Michael, you remember the scene where she meets yeah. the supreme intelligence, and uh, the song that plays is like the perfect song to fit the scene. It's "Come as You Are," but then it's yeah. followed up by a yeah. horribly cheesy action scene oh. set to "No Doubt." Well, yeah, I'm just a girl, and you and I were saying that if they were going to pick any iconic '90s song for that scene, it should have been maybe "Smells Like Teen Spirit." I don't know. The problem with "Smells Like Teen Spirit" is it has too many like ramps like it starts out really intense and then it slows down for like two minutes and then it picks mm, up again yeah. and then it slows down for two minutes mm. it's not the best fight scene if, yeah. it, if it was a short scene maybe but like if it's like a long drawn out action scene then no it doesn't have the energy for that yeah but yeah no i didn't particularly care about captain marvel but, um or for captain marvel for so what it's I, worth i don't have much to say about it really for what it's worth 
I love Brie Larson, and I think she's a great actress. Okay. But yeah, uh, yeah. The, the movie was okay. Like, I might watch it again when I'm in the right mood, um, just to see what I missed, and if there are, like, if it gets better over time. I'm all for a sequel. Like, I haven't completely written this character or story off. I hear the sequel is going to have Rogue in it. Oh. The X-Men. That'll be really interesting. Yeah. That makes there's a there's one thing I do want to say about Captain Marvel Go before ahead, we yeah. move on. Um, Stanley cameo is perfect. Yep. <laughs> yeah, not made, just that. The tr- this yeah. was the first movie that came out after he died, and the tr- you gotta talk about the tribute that was in the cr- the opening. Yeah, the opening credits are all Stan Stanley. He kind of replaces the familiar Marvel hero imagery, and uh, the fact to have Stanley like playing Stan Lee, rehearsing his line where he plays Stan Lee in a Kevin Smith movie oh, is yeah. so perfect is so perfectly nineties. And I know that Kevin Smith himself was like very touched by that. So I just I I loved everything about that cameo. I also forgot <laughs> to mention uh, Ben Mendelssohn's actually not bad in Captain Marvel. Mm. And Samuel Jackson's oh, yeah. notable too. Well that's when they went full on with the de aging tech. De aging, yeah. And it was really, it really paid off. You can kind of tell in his physicality that Samuel Jackson isn't as limber as he used to be. Yeah, well, it, it's '90s Samuel Jackson, but with the body of present day Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, exactly. That's really that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Did you guys like that fucking cat? That cat was weird. I'm sorry. And it's like nobody, sh- everyone wouldn't shut up about the cat. And I'm like, yeah. maybe it's because I don't like cats, but it's like, shut up. <laughs> and do you guys remember that line in uh, Winter Soldier where Nick Fury's talking to Cap and it's like, I sac- I, I lost my eye. It's like, when, last, last time I trusted someone. Oh, yeah. I thought he was alluding to a, an encounter with a scroll, like, but like something nope. serious, but no, it's a cat. Nope! It's a cat fucking cat. Scratch. But yeah, uh, okay, so that um, movie awkwardly segues into the highest grossing film of all time, uh, Avengers Endgame, Marvel's Mm -hmm. Return of the King. Yeah. This this absolutely epic film uh, is one of, is probably a result of the greatest marketing setup and is the greatest marketing payoff in cinema history, because... Infinity War captured the attention of the world in a way that shocked and rocked everyone to their core. Avengers Endgame delivers, and it raked yeah. in the dough. Yeah. And it perfectly... And, and, and just like Wolverine, it was the perfect send-off to a series that stayed with us for years. Go watch it yourself. Not my 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 ramblings about it won't do it any justice. Go watch it yourself. I, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, there's not a lot that can be said about this movie that hasn't already been said in the year and a half since it came out yeah. but it is such a it's such a good kind of finale to yeah. so many different storylines and the fact that they went all in with making this kind of like two hour drama kind of about grief and loss and uh, the pain of moving on and whatever and then it becomes uh, as it's stated within the film itself it becomes a kind of time heist <laughs> yeah and then there's one uh one very key moment which evan i'm sure you know exactly what i'm talking about oh yeah the the movie shifts with one kind of simple line set over the radio and that scene is like 
absolutely chilling and jaw dropping and exciting. And um, then the last hour of the movie is just this really, really fun, uh, resolute kind of finale. Like everything we've been wanting to see together, every character they've built up over the last 11 years. It's, it's like, yeah, I, enough good things cannot be said about that finale and how they pulled it off. And I, I, I love it. I'll go back and watch it whenever. Yep. Uh, well, it was, it was glad to watch it with you guys too. I mean, I really, the other, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I really like that. Um, the next movie on our list, cause we really do have to wrap this up. Um, it's, uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix. Have it, have any of you seen this? Cause I skipped no. it. I have seen this movie and I will just say basically just take everything I said about Avengers Endgame and <laughs> invert it to make it negative. Oh my God. Um, that movie in itself is, if you think about it, the, the X-Men franchise went through many kind of continuities, changes and creative changes and stuff, but it is essentially one saga of like 19 years, uh, from the, from the year 2000 to the year 2019. Uh, That movie is really weirdly disjointed. Uh, The actors are very clearly cashing on a paycheck. They don't want to be there. Oh, God. Um, (laughs) The camaraderie is weird and awkward. They don't Uh, do anything with the The action scenes are, like, forgettable. There is one pretty cool scene on a train, um, which is kind of worth checking out on its own merits, but... Um, didn't do didn't do much for me, and it does not feel like a satisfying uh, conclusion to the saga of any kind. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, I'm glad I skipped it. Quite honestly. Yeah, me too. Uh, the last movie we're gonna talk about tonight uh, was came out two months after Endgame. Spider-Man: Far From Home. Good movie. But they picked the wrong time to release it. Should have called it Spider-Man far too soon. (laughs) Well, because like it would be like if can you imagine if in an alternate reality 2012 they released Iron Man three two months after the Avengers? It wouldn't have been the same. I I know that you know I feel like if they probably had to release it at this time because of the Sony contract they have with Marvel Studios and how the yeah. character is in, is exchanged between the two studios but mm-hmm. i i kind of regret seeing this in the theater like so soon uh but you know what it's it's got some good elements in it. sorry go ahead <laughs> it's got some good elements in it uh mysterio's great uh the guy who almost was spider-man is spider-man's enemy I'll always see yeah. him, i'll always see mysterio as donnie darko 2.0 oh yeah <laughs> this I really like I really like Far From Home. I think it makes good use of its uh, European settings, and I I feel like the subplots uh, going on are very like mm. like cute. I kind of like how Spider Man's kind of primary motivator is just to impress this girl while he's trying to save the world and stuff. It's very true to the core of its character. Yeah, and uh, I do I do like a lot that it has going on in that movie, but. Yeah. What's kind of interesting about what you uh, just said, Evan, is uh, yes, it was released very close to the release of Endgame, but it's almost kind of lucky that that happened because they wouldn't have been able to release it this year. That's that's true, yeah. <laughs> so they kind of lucked out on that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
But yeah, I don't know. I like I said, it, it's almost kind of fitting that that we sort of started this convo talking about Spidey and how that that first iteration of it was maybe what got us into superhero stuff. But I feel uh, seventeen, eight years, eighteen years on, like I will always enjoy seeing a new Spider-Man film. Um, and I feel like, yeah, I feel like you know, Marvel really figured it out, and I feel like. Uh, Far From Home is yet another worthy entry that I just, I don't know, I liked it. I go back to it sometimes, and I just, it's a really fun movie. Yeah. Well, let's kind of bring this on home, no pun intended, with, you know, the what's the future of Marvel Studios? Because, like, I, I really felt the MCU fatigue when I walked yeah, out of Far From are, Home. Are we starting to feel superhero fatigue now? Well, I kind of want to answer that question again when we talk about DC because um, there's a point yeah, I want to prove. There well. are factors. But, um, yeah. Yeah. In terms of MCU, I'm, I'm, I always ask myself each and every time. Now that Endgame is over, I have to ask like, it should the MCU wrap things up or should they like maybe do one more phase? Like, I'm I'm wondering to myself, when should the MCU close its doors? Because I understand they make so much money doing this, and that, that is the driving force, sure. But, I don't know, at a, at a point, like, the, the, the returns are going to diminish, people are going to lose interest after a while, and they're doing good. They haven't, they've made solid work, but I'm worried that uh, that's not going to last forever. Well, it, when we were talking, I noticed a pattern when we were talking about these movies tonight, um... Every uh, we would talk. There would be a couple of really good ones, and then they would be followed up by really bad ones. So the fatigue is understandable throughout this genre. Like over the last eighteen years, we've had nonstop superhero movies year after year after year, and yeah, uh, yeah. every time the the public loses interest, a game changing film like Infinity War or Black Panther will come along and or just or even Spider Man into uh, into the Spider Verse. Yeah, we forgot to talk about that maybe because it's not live action but that is like the biggest love letter to spider-man fans and to the spider-man yeah. lore that i've ever seen that movie that movie is fantastic still yeah, yeah. so um, yeah so what, what i find interesting is like i sort of alluded to earlier in the conversation not all superhero movies are created equal by any stretch yeah. and not all of them like even feel like they belong to the same genre um, so I feel like as long as we keep kind of seeing like interesting different takes on source materials, like they will remain interesting. Um, and I, I, I don't know, like, uh, uh, like fatigue is an argument that can, can be made for like anything that's like popular, but the superhero genre is just becoming so like, uh, like malleable and it, it can like become so many different types of movies that i'm always like really intrigued by the ones that take a sort of super creative risk and just do something entirely new for the genre yeah yeah for sure uh, <laughs> um, it opens yeah. the doors to like you know um uh a lot of ideas and um i won't go into details of what this idea is but michael myself and 
Lyle to a degree are, are have been kind of like you know working on this um, story idea I have for a parody of this genre. Can't say too much more about it because you know <clears throat> we're sworn to secrecy, but you know perfect amenities. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I'm just using the downtime, like whatever downtime I can find uh, in this COVID world where film production is like admittedly not at a complete standstill but it's been slowed considerably and not only that releases have been affected tremendously too in an alternate reality 2020 we would have been talking about black widow and new mutants but those got left off because we just haven't seen them uh and honestly black widow why didn't they release that in the place of Captain Marvel instead of like great? Mo- yeah. It looks like it's going to be a great movie, but the wrong like Spider-Man: Far From Home, good movie, wrong time to release it. Yeah. Mm. So. And I don't really care about this upcoming movie they have called The Eternals. I don't know what the hell that's about. Yeah. So they haven't even released the trailer yet. Oh uh, yeah. It's kind of worrisome. Like, makes me uh, raise an eyebrow. Well, New Mutants got, like, had to go through, like... Pre- oh, New Mutants got fucked up so hard. Yeah. Like, yeah. Lord, that was delayed for, like, four years. Yeah. That movie has had quite the prediction. Yeah. And you know what? At the end of the day, it's just whatever. It's, it's so, um... Uh, I guess, uh, Michael Lake, um... Yeah. So I, I, I kind of had to have, like, some munchies here, because I was getting hungry during the show, but um thank you so so much for your time uh it's been an incredible trip down memory lane yeah um what i'm about to join us next week as we dive deeper into dc and how they handled their uh their cinematic world um what i'm about to say cannot be stressed enough enough said